Kevin, I am. I drove down this morning, and I, I'm coming down Capitol, and they rerouted. They're doing construction again or something in the red zone. The the red line. I I don't know if the red line's like this is the week they tear it up. I, I don't know. So they they rerouted me, and I had to go very circuitously to get to the Monument Circle. I had to go past, kind of down around Pennsylvania, whatever. And, and I, I I saw this figure out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, what is going on? And it, you know, it's dark, and, and it's a little bit drizzly this morning. And and then I got a better glimpse as the lighting came through and started peering through and gleam, gleaming off the monument. I got a, a better glimpse that it was you with a tape measure, and I realized that you were there on the corner of Georgia and Pennsylvania, just on the west side of the field house, measuring for the Ben Matherin yes. statue, right? Yep, you, you saw correctly. <laughs> Did you see the chisel in my back pocket? I thought, you know, if I had some extra time this morning, I would just start erecting the statue. You... <laughs> I... You are, Eddie White said, Jake, sleep in. Tee up Kevin and go home. Now, right? I was over at the state building. I'm not sure if I was at the correct building. Um, before that, I was seeing if a month into Max's life, I could get a name change on the birth certificate to Benedict. <laughs> okay, well, it's better than I thought maybe you were asking if you could like remove the Oliver Morton statue and put one up <laughs> instead of Benedict Matherin. But uh, listen, the I, look. Preseason is not, you know, you don't know for certain. There have been a lot of players we've seen over the course of professional sports who look like gyms in the preseason, and then water finds its level. But it does look like the Pacers might have drafted themselves a player. Yeah, I, I think we continue to see what um, I felt like was in there. I felt like he had serious potential, and I would say probably the most – I'd say something that stood out to me, Jake, in particular, is like he's not even hitting a bunch of perimeter shots right now. This dude is just attacking the rim. He's a willing driver. He's an effective driver. He's getting to the foul line. Last night, he's finishing through a big Josh Hartenstein, who's seven foot and 240. And we'll play the Jeremiah Johnson audio in a little bit from Benedict Mather in postgame. Are you getting a cigarette after that, by the way? Well, I I had one last night about 9.15. (laughs) Right right after giving Max a bottle, I passed him off to Maddie and headed out to the sidewalk. Um, (laughs) Daddy needs a heater. Be right back. (laughs) You hear Matherin's comments, and he mentions to JJ how the Pacers played the Knicks last Friday night. And Matherin, in between last Friday night and last night, he goes back and watches that game and felt like the Knicks were guarding him in a particular way that he could, you know, tap into some advantageous driving situations. I mean, here's a rookie watching preseason film, finding that little tidbit, and then putting it to use last night with 27 points in 29 minutes off the bench, gets the foul line 12 times, makes 11 of those foul shots. And I get to preseason – but the end-of-game stuff, Jake, for him and Andrew Nemhard and company, it's important stuff. You know, the Nemhard is one that they're very high on as well. Um, Poor man's Brogdon. That's probably a good way of saying it. They, they, I know the Pacers are very high on his lob ability, um, lob pass ability, and just his court vision. So, I don't know. It might be a fun year, right? It might be a fun year. Good morning to you on a Thursday. My name is Jake Query. That is Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It is Kevin and Query. A 93.5107.5 The Fan. Good show lined up this morning. Mike Duraco, ESPN from Jacksonville, will join us in just under an hour. We will preview Colts and Jags, which is this Sunday. Speaking of the Pacers, Scott Agnes will do exactly that with us in the 8 o'clock hour. 
And then Zach Kiefer, one of our favorite guests in the 9 o'clock hour, talking Colts. So a lot to go over this morning. Anything fun and exciting happened for you last night other than the game, Kev? Boy, absolutely nothing. It was kind of an ugly day. Yeah, it was just gray and overcast and bleh, right? Did it rain again last night? I felt like I walked out of the car and I'm like, there was a... Yeah. It's wet. I- I'm with you. I don't know when it did, but it definitely did, you know? How about you? You you uh, you packed and ready to go? I am. Can't you tell? I'm uh, I'm ready to go. The road trip, the Turan Donner Memorial Road Trip begins tonight. Uh, flying into New Orleans and immediately... Actually, you know where we're going. Uh, this is exciting stuff. Byron and I are landing in New Orleans. Most people straight to Bourbon Street, right? No, not not so much for us. Uh, we've both done the whole Bourbon Street thing. We are going to, I think the name of the town is Gillsburg. And I'm not sure if it's Louisiana or Mississippi because it's right on the state line. But the site of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. First place we're hitting. My first guess was a cemetery. No, so a plane crash was probably second on what, that What's list. that, Mark? He said first place we're hitting. I said, well, that's a poor choice of words. Well, okay, sorry. The first place in which we will stop. Apparently, it's like in the middle of... A, the bayou well like we know what questions mike DiRocco is going to be getting today from jacksonville about leonard skinner wow look at you with the skinner information you pulled that that is impressive where did you pull that out of that noggin i think it's now the third or fourth time the colts have played the jags since you and i have hosted the show and i think you've pulled out skinner with DiRocco every time that's impressive though you know he, they're named after a, the gym teacher leonard skinner was the gym teacher at their high school in jacksonville what, Mark, what do you... It was a long injury list for the Colts <laughs> yesterday. We'll, we'll get into that. I'm not as alarmed by, I think, just uh, I, the sheer look of it. Actually, you're on the injury list, Kevin. You pulled a reference. <laughs> well, I certainly pulled something last night when Benedict Mather and right had now. that windmill <laughs> Whoa. to end the game. <laughs> hang on. I mean, hang yeah, on. You pulled Mark, a hammy? Mark, Mark anything, anything you want to say here? Go to break? Six minutes, yeah, no, I'll never six come minutes back. into the show. Wow. Okay. Kevin, come on, man. Uh, tonight, I'm sure Jake and Byron will be glued to Amazon Prime. It'll be Carson Wentz who's dealing with a biceps tendon strain near his throwing shoulder. Uh, it will be him. I believe the Commanders are favored by one, Mark Dykton, over your Bears. Well, it's the last time Carson Wentz will start a game this season. So, Ooh, boy, don't say that to Colts fans. I know. That is the last thing they want to hear. Over under of 39 tonight. Oh, take the under. Man. It'll Al, be more exciting than last Thursday's game. Al Michaels has got to be like, wait a minute. We had good yeah. games to begin, right? Kirk Herbstreit's like, wait, I came from college football for this? But, yeah. Well, wait, Kyle, Kirk Herbstreit should be used to it with like Big Ten football. He should be used to this. Now, the um, speaking of the Bears, one of their former coaches and a guy that did not get to coach Carson Wentz but could have had he stayed in Indianapolis long enough is going to bang the anvil on Sunday. I saw that. Chuck Pagano, yeah. Is that awkward at all? You know, the one thing I'll say about the Colts. Hey, Chuck, uh, we fired you for that guy down there on the sideline. You want to come here and bang the anvil? Uh, sure. I guess. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times do you think in NFL history the coach has been fired for the next coach has been like honored in the way Chuck will be honored? The Colts are an odd organization though, and I say this in a good way, and I think it speaks probably to Jim Irsay and just maybe the heart of Jim Irsay. But you very rarely, you very rarely hear of players or coaches that leave here and then hold an ill will forever against the franchise. Right? Yeah, just to Nico Autrian, and maybe Eric Dickerson. Although Dickerson, I think, was more just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't care. But for the most part, 
coaches that, you know, well, you know, I Ryan Grigson seems to have a little bit of some. Yeah. I don't think he's resentment. banging the anvil anytime soon. No, I do not see him coming back. Although he's part of the Vikings organization. They got a nice start this year. Yeah, the Vikings are off to a good start. But uh, but Pagano seemingly has always had a good relationship with the Colts, right? Uh, I would agree. Him and Jim Irsay certainly very close for some off-the-field reasons um, more than anything. So that will be Sunday. I saw that line has shrunk a little bit. Started at one, climbed to two and a half. One and a half is what I saw. Um, I assume that's due to the injury report from yesterday. But again, we'll go over that. It was eight guys that didn't practice. I didn't see Philip Lindsay at practice either. He's on the practice squad, so he would not show up on the injury report. Um, but if Jonathan Taylor is going to be iffy, and Taylor was doing some jogging off to the side, um, he obviously will be a name to watch um, this week. We'll go over that. I think we know three of the five offensive line starters for Sunday, and my early thought is they might be running it back. The same group we saw last Thursday night. And I've got two thoughts on that, Jake. My first thought is how the hell could you run it back? with what you saw from Matt Pryor at right tackle. My second thought is, if you're going to make such an outrageous move like they did in changing three offensive line starters on a short week, no practice on the road, wouldn't you have said in those meetings, if we're going to do this, we have to do it for multiple weeks? Yeah. Because we have to give these guys time to practice and build some chemistry. Um so I think right now it's Bernard Ryman at left tackle. It's Quentin Nelson at left guard. I asked Frank Reich yesterday, and he thought to benching a healthy Ryan Kelly. He said no. Um, Ryan Kelly was off to the side, along with Jonathan Taylor, doing some jogging yesterday at practice due to his hip injury. Um, so if healthy, that's your left side and center. And then we'll see if it's Braden Smith at right guard, Matt Pryor at right tackle, like it was last Thursday, or if they decide to move Braden back to the spot he's played at his entire NFL the, career. The real challenge and the real peculiar thing about the timing of this move, and sure, I, this may be just strictly out of necessity, but when you, you mentioned, first off, the short week, obviously indisputable. The other, which may be disputed, but Kevin, I don't think it's a stretch to say maybe not the best, but one of the best and certainly probably most aggressive defensive front fours that they're going to face all year oh, comes up this Sunday, right? Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville is a good to pretty darn good defense. That's exactly what Jacksonville's. Yeah. I, you know, listen, Jacksonville might have drafted Trevor Lawrence number one overall, but right now Jacksonville's bread and butter is their defensive front four. I mean, and they've also got a guy on the other side that they drafted number one overall, and along with other talent. I mean, they are... And they've whipped the Colts they're, in the trenches. They're fast and they're nasty, man. They, they, you know what I mean? They And yes, they absolutely like, I have a feeling that the for any Colts offensive lineman, it would seemingly be that the Jacksonville front four is like algebra is to me. Like you lay awake at night like, oh man, like how am I going to get around? Boy, this? I would argue, you know, algebra 301. I go back to that 2017 game, Jake. Jacoby Brissett sacked 10 times, hit 20 times in a football game by the Jacksonville defensive front. That was the game T.Y. Hilton called out the O-line afterwards, and I walked out of the locker room thinking, man, T.Y. is damn right. I mean, I thought I thought literally Jacoby was going to be, and I know this sounds you know harsh and whatever, I thought Jacoby literally was going to get in an ambulance and head straight to a local hospital after that game. 
By the way, hit 20 times in an NFL game. Is Jacoby Brissett going to do in Cleveland what is the ceiling for a backup quarterback? And that is, and I haven't looked, what is Cleveland's record? Two and three, I believe. That was a really bad pick by Jacoby to end last week. Really bad. I mean, if he doesn't throw that pick and they win that game, I, well, my, the thing I was going to ask is, you know, is he, is he going to be able to keep them above water long enough until Deshaun Watson comes back to try to make a run? Boy, that's a good question. I mean, that AFC's I mean, loaded, but that they've got a hope for division, right? You've got they, well, they've got a hope, they got hope for a wild card. I mean, Baltimore's going to, I think, be the best team or, in the North. Or Cincinnati or Cincy. Uh, Pittsburgh certainly looks like a basement team this year. Um, yeah, can he? Can they hover around five hundred? I mean, what Watson's only back for the first or for the last what five games? Six. I thought. How, well, how wasn't, long it, was wasn't it 12 games? Uh, that might be right, yeah. I was thinking it was the last four games, but five sounds right. I, you know, it's interesting because this is around the time. If, if a guy is a career – and I mean this is no disrespect to Jacoby Brissett, who's a fine, serviceable quarterback. But the the line in the sand between definitively the guy at quarterback and a guy who is a fine serviceable backup the line in the sand Kevin to me is about four or five games is at about the four or five game mark is the maximum that you can squeeze out of a backup quarterback before enough things start to get exposed to show why they are the backup and not the full-time starter and that's where he is right now so we'll see I mean, he Whether went seven he and nine it. here, Jake, in 2019. I, I think that Cleveland team is very similar built. I'd argue Cleveland might be a little bit better I think than they're a little that bit better. team was sure. in 2019. So you would think he could keep it around 500 um, until Watson gets back. Uh, the NL Divisional Series, both of those games, we saw the loser from Game 1 come back last night and win Game 2. So that would be the Braves. They combined on a three-hitter over Philly. And then the Padres... Uh, not the pitching duel, I think we thought with you, Darvish and Clayton Kershaw. They both exited after five. Padres win that five three. So uh, again, one one in each of those best of five series today. It'll be the AL with the Mariners. <laughs> Boy, I'm trying to get off the mat after that kick in the you know what on Wednesday, or I guess that would have been Tuesday. And then Yankees and Guardians with the Yankees up one zero. Uh, by the way, one note, if you are in the car and you're heading to work and you work either in the downtown area or just south of it, uh, this from our friends at Wish TV, but I just noticed it, I-65 southbound at the North Split is shut due to an accident. So traffic already starting to back up on I-65 southbound. If you typically take 65 south, uh, of course, it's kind of split there anyway, I think, with I don't know what's open and what's not, but if you typically take 65 south to get into downtown, uh, start rerouting right now. So everyone trying to get a glimpse of the statue. That's it. The early, that's exactly what early it is. building of the Benedict Matherin statue. Um, Jake, I felt like when I watched him at Arizona, the, the the two things that jumped out to me right away were just the athletic ability. And then honestly, I thought he was a pretty good perimeter shooter. We haven't really seen that yet in the NBA. Um, he hit a lot of big shots, wasn't afraid to take the big shots. But again, when you've dug more to this guy's background, that's what like sold sold me on it. And I feel like what you've seen from him in this preseason and being such a driver, such an attacker, such a finisher at the rim, that wasn't even the best trade of his game in college. But yet he realized, 
I've got to work on that. There's room to grow. Uh, he's not a finished product by any means. And I think Rick Carlisle said to him, you know, you have the ability to get in the paint and make plays at a pretty high level at, at this level. And he clearly has done that. I mean, the guy has shot. The guy can't be playing more than like 20, 22 minutes a game in the preseason. And he's gotten to the foul line over 20 times. Yeah, I think that there is also an ability for him. It's one thing to be a guy that can hit an open shot. It's another to be a guy who is able to elevate and use a body strength or a body balance to not be deterred by somebody who is on him right then or to simply create space for yourself in your elevation. And a lot of guys can't do that. I mean, a lot of guys, if somebody's within two feet of them, it it kind of all of a sudden just swallows them in where they can't get a shot off. Matherin, the one thing about Benedict Matherin coming out of Arizona was he is a guy that doesn't need a lot of space to get his shot. He can either create his shot or he has a physical strength enough to go up with a guy on him and not be deterred by yeah, it. Really good body control. Body control is a good way of saying it. Um, again, outstanding last night from Matherin. Uh, no Tyrese Halliburton. He had some lower back soreness, so TJ McConnell got the start. I'm reminded, or I, I think I was last night, Jake, you forget how much time TJ McConnell missed last year. Yeah. And that broken wrist kept him off the floor Half for the year, right? Months. He looked like a seventh grade math teacher walking around at the games. I mean, yes, like his he did. Mm-hmm. hair like perfectly like gelled over. You know, I mean, TJ McConnell last year walking around on the sidelines looked like a PE teacher from a 1956 Crooked Creek Elementary yearbook. He used to play Crooked Creek golf course back in the day. I don't think it's around anymore. Really? It was like a par three, par four course. Where was it? Right by those softball fields that I used to play at as well. Do you ever drive, when you're driving around town, do you ever pass either a middle or, I mean, not a high school. We know where all the high schools are. Do you ever pass either a middle school or like a a boys club or a, a YMCA, one of those three, that you played in sports as a kid? And you're like, that's where that is. Like Randsburg. Yeah. You know, the Randsburg YMCA or the, you know, uh, municipal gardens we played I, I a lot. I was literally going to say that. Like, all Coffin Golf Course is right next to municipal gardens, if I'm not correct. mistaken. Correct. That's right. Of there. That's exactly right. Um, and yeah, I'm like, oh, wait. I Wow, it's on the backside of this? Uh, correct. Golf, I mean, I mean I, right by Longs. Creston and, Middle School. I mean, I played, I don't know, probably three basketball games in Creston Middle School over the years. Guy in Middle School. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then you pass him. Oh, okay. That's where it is. I hated going to Clay. Well, that's a bit offensive. <laughs> I hated it, man. Were the roundabouts intimidating back in 19-whatever? Well, the team wasn't, I can tell you that. But <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, the thing about watching TJ McConnell last night, Jake, that I think will be really good and beneficial for the Pacers this season, that's a dude that's going to get everybody involved. That's a dude that he re- he knows what his role is, and he knows what his role is on this team. And he's not going to hijack situations. He's going to be perfect in setting up Matherin and Neesmith. And when, you know, Nemhard needs to get a few more minutes, I think he'll be, um, you know, willing to kind of let Nemhard run the show a little bit. Um, and I think that's going to be very, very beneficial for the Pacers in that, all right, we need to evaluate some of these younger guys. TJ McConnell, perfect dude to get others involved. And in true TJ McConnell fashion last night, he forced an eight-second violation 
<laughs> I told you, he's the guy that if you're playing at Municipal Gardens, T.J. McConnell is the little guy that's like sweaty with hair on his back that checks you at the three-court line. You're like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, just go back and zone, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to get some exercise out of here. What are we doing? Pacers came back to beat the Knicks last night, 109-100. I was hoping that would count towards my 30 wins. Does not count. I thought the, the Knicks actually like played the rotation. I, they, I felt like all their key guys were out there. Again, the Pacers, no Halliburton. Some nice minutes from Gogo Batadze late um, as the Pacers came back to beat the Knicks. They'll have one more preseason game Friday night, and then their regular season opener is Wednesday with the Wizards, and that is over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Um, later in the show, by the way, we might have a public service announcement from my mom. You guys probably haven't. You played it last year. Do we play it last mm-hmm. year? It's a it's a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to tell me that at your birthday party. I thought she was going to get a head start on that. My mom actually, you know what my mom did say about my birthday party? Um, the I think the only editorial that she offered about my birthday party, you know, in terms of specifics, I I really enjoyed talking with Kevin Bowen. That's you're the only person she mentioned by name. By the, the way, the feeling is beyond mutual. <laughs> with that, when I saw your voicemail yesterday, I thought to myself, well, "Let me see here, Karen. Any voicemails from her?" No, I, I was hoping for a second I might get one. That sounded like a very Colleen Bowen comment about the time of year, and in particular with the rain over the last twenty-four right. hours, um, very relevant. So we'll play it twenty minutes or so. We'll, we'll play the. One, the public service announcement from Mama Q. I want to explain why the Colts decided to move Braden Smith to right guard last Thursday night. That's something we can get into. I thought Frank Reich had an understandable explanation yesterday um, about that. I'm curious if Matt Ryan and or Jonathan Taylor maybe voice some opinion on that, uh, but a little reasoning behind moving Braden Smith to a position we have not seen him yet in the NFL, so we'll certainly touch on that. Uh, the Pacers, a couple of transactional items with contract extensions yesterday we can chat with scott agnes about that at 8 30 and as jake said zach Kiefer going to join us at nine o'clock uh, mark do you feel good about your bears tonight uh i do i hope so at least i hope they can build off of their second half against the vikings and the commanders, they made that game really competitive let me, let me ask yeah, you mark, the commanders what? seem to be like a team that you know, given what you know Ron Rivera said over the, a team that the locker room is not so great, so they can change the nickname all they want. Locker at Soldier Field, right? At Soldier Field, yes. What did the and I don't. This is not meant condescendingly. I, I have not watched a lot of them, and I know you do. What did the Bears do well? If the Bears are going to have a, you know an above expectation season, it will be it will be because they leaned on what? They're very boring. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're still working out the kinks with with Justin Fields and whatnot. Justin Fields will be the reason if they win more games than they don't. But their defense has been surprisingly great in the second half of games. Uh, last Sunday was the first offensive touchdown they gave up in an entire second half all season. So their defense, for whatever reason, gets off to a slow start, and then they shore up by after halftime. They make adjustments, and then all of a sudden they can lock opponents they, down. They don't seem to know Sounds how to like use. Matt Eberflus. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to know how to use Justin Fields. Is that fair? Like, they haven't figured out what he is. Yeah, I think they're just trying to still get the lay of the land with him. Like, I I think they're they're afraid of him to make mistakes. But I feel like if you're a young quarterback that's trying to develop, you need to make mistakes. You're not – a coaching staff is trying to get wins, but the long-term goal is to develop a quarterback and have a guy for the next decade or so under center that you can trust. So Who would be – if all three were playing at a high level, 
who would be the biggest megastar in the city of Chicago? The shooting guard of the Bulls, the quarterback of the Bears, or the shortstop of the Cubs? Without question, the quarterback yeah, of the Bears. Go there. Without question. Because that's one thing that... They've never had. They've never had. Yeah, we, ne- Bears fans have never seen it. I mean, that's that's the thing. In my, I've seen a Bulls dynasty. I've seen a Blackhawks dynasty. I've seen the Cubs and White Sox win World Series. I've never seen a franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And I don't mean to turn this into like a Chris Ballard analogy off of that, but I guess I'm going to do so. Maybe that's why Chris Bauer doesn't believe in quarterback to the degree that other teams do. He comes from the Bears. He was used to Rex, Rex Grossman my mind and Kyle Orton, and that team with Rex Grossman got to the Super Bowl. So maybe Bauer's like, nope, we'll just build it all around him. We can still get to the Super Bowl without a marquee QB. Maybe I'm grasping at straws there, but it's a thought that's popped into my head. No, I've thought, I've thought that multiple times. And, you know, to be fair. That is his heavy scouting background. I mean, he was a, a decade-plus. And, and to be fair, Kevin – Prior to Patrick Mahomes, that was kind of the M.O. of the Kansas City Chiefs as well. They were the definition of patchwork quarterbacks. I mean, Steve DeBerg to Dave Craig to Joe Montana at the end of his career to Elvis Gerbach to, uh, you know, on and on and on, right? Yeah. I mean, just, I mean Alex Smith, obviously, right before. But Alex Smith was also a retread of somewhere sure. else, right? Sure. I mean, that's question. why I think that they keep going to the well for veteran quarterbacks. We've never seen Chris Ballard draft and develop a young quarterback yet. And again, I think some of that comes from his background. He's Mark Dykton. I'm Kevin Bowen. Jake Query is in today. Jake will be out tomorrow, off to New Orleans tonight. It'll be Mark and I on Friday's show. Again, Mike DiRocco to talk Jags at 8 o'clock. Scott Agnes at 8.30 to recap the Pacers and their preseason home opener last night with some highlights, certainly from the rookie class. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock to talk Colts. A long injury report from Indianapolis. We'll break that down here coming up. Again, I don't think it's as alarming as it looks on paper. We'll explain more of that here in a bit. Kevin Aquari on a Thursday, 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, last night Major League Baseball, both NL teams that lost game one of their divisional series came back to win game two. It was the Braves over the Phillies 3-0. Four pitchers combined on a three-hitter in that one. And then the Padres over the Dodgers 5-3. Did you see the goose on the field? I did, and I listen. Be you guys can both make fun of me here. I felt sorry for the goose. Like this goose came out, and the crowd's going crazy. Clearly, something was wrong with him. He couldn't fly, right? He was trying to get away, but he couldn't. He would fly like, and he was a portly fellow, right? I, thick goose, to say the least. Yeah, it was like Tony Siragusa. I, I yeah, the late I, great Tony Siragusa. Well said. Yeah, I thought you know if the Chargers still had. An NFL team, I guess the Dodgers, maybe that would have been in L.A. Um, but Josh Hader, 1.1 innings, or one in a third inning, I should say, closing that out. How about uh, he's the first Padres pitcher to go longer than an inning for a postseason save since Goose Gossage. Really? Goose all over the place, right? Now that's some irony. <laughs> that is, man. Goose all over the place is what it used to look at my apartment complex. Lots of geese and lots mm. of lots of geese droppings. There, by the way, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm at the grocery store or somewhere and I get out of the car and there's one goose in the parking lot, I will circumnavigate like seven blocks oh, yeah. of walking in. Tech my dog one to time. To avoid it. Back in the day. <laughs> Tonight. Across the pond. 
start nipping at him. I'm like, get the hell out of here, Goose. What are you doing? Astros Mariners game two is at 337 today. And then for the Yankees, that is the nightcap. I assume that's what, like seven? Do I have those times right? You know, geese like me, Mark, because I'm always wearing clothing from Roots, and that's Roots Canada. It's almost exclusively what I wear, so they're fans of that. Were you were looking for the time for 3:37 what tonight? 3.37 for the Mariners and the Astros and then Guardians and Yankees. Now, do we know for certain it's 3.37? 3 Could they jump the gun and start it at 3.36? I, I a bold move. First pitch, 3.37. What if the anthem goes long? You know. Last night, the Pacers, they come back to beat the Knicks 109-100. And the star of last night was Benedict Matherin. 27 points in 29 minutes off the bench. 8 of 13 from the field. 11 of 12 from the foul line. We had Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM, on with us a few weeks back. He described Benedict Matherin as wound tight. Told us a pretty funny story about how Matherin reacts when he is on the losing side of pickup games. He was on the winning side last night of a preseason game. That meant something to him. Here was Matherin with Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports after the win. You didn't play like this was a preseason game. You played like this mattered tonight. Uh, it does matter. It does matter. You know, uh, for me, it's a dub. I'm going back home with a dub. I'm sleeping well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I like to compete. I love competing. And um, I just love winning. Final question. As you think back to what you've learned in the month of training camp in these three games, what have you learned about the NBA? Uh, pretty much the spacing. Spacing is, you know, it's way more spacing. The guys are bigger, stronger, and smarter. You know, you just have to adjust as quick as you can. And, um... Pretty much just have fun. Who was it told us? Was it Chad Buchanan said that when they're playing pickup ball, like if Benedict Matherin's team loses, he has to like walk out and calm himself down, right? Didn't I just say that? Did you? I did. <laughs> um, you probably said this too then. Pacers and Rockets Pacers Friday. Damn act together. Thanks. Final preseason game, Pacers and Rockets. Andrew Nembhard I just said really that. good last night again. We need to call a team timeout. <laughs> Take a 30 at the break and just huddle up, get our blank together. I'm already on vacation. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Colts' first practice of the week was yesterday. It was a long injury report. We'll dive deeper into that when we come back. Um, again, currently favored by one and a half over Jacksonville. Again, Jake, 10 straight wins in this series by the home team. Whoever plays at home wins this game. You know what's crazy is in this series, Kevin, I don't know if – I can't remember who said this, but the the home team's actually won 10 straight. Oh, God. <laughs> In my opinion, that sucks. What's that? <laughs> Starting to put some pieces to the offensive line puzzle for Sunday together. We'll explain uh, more and regroup here. Speaking of pieces. Uh, Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. Jake, it was the longest Colts injury report of the season yesterday. And, again, on paper, it looks really, really alarming. I, I don't find it to be... As alarming as it looks, um, I guess let's start with the good news. Julian Blackman, back to practice. He hasn't played in a few games. Naheem Hines, back to practice. Him and Tyquan Lewis, both in a red jersey yesterday as they begin their steps to the concussion protocol. If you're practicing on a Wednesday and coming back from a concussion, I would say there's a decent to good chance you play that Sunday. Well, I'll tell you, the... I get it. It's a business. You got to win games. You got to put yourself in the best position uh, from an optics standpoint. And I'm only saying this, be, and I know, you know, I'm sure people are going to call in and say I'm soft, whatever. It's cool. Um, I'm not saying they should sit out Heinz, but 
from an optics standpoint only because of the situation that happened with uh, Tua Tungvaloa in Miami. If Hines goes, you you certainly better hope that, I mean, for his sake, obviously, more than anything. But, you know, that was a nasty concussion that happened. Now, granted, long week. Maybe that, that has something to do with it, right? He, get, he got a couple extra days since that was a short week on the Thursday game. But uh, you certainly would hope that Hines goes only after he has been 1,000% without question cleared. They had eight guys not practice. Tony Brown due to concussion. Um Eric Johnson, defensive tackle due to illness. Ryan Kelly, hip. Shaquille Leonard with the three different injuries, concussion, broken nose, and back. Quiddy Pay, ankle. Jonathan Taylor, ankle. Two of the eight who did not practice are rest. That would be Yanni Kangakwe and Stephon Gilmore. So I think when you start looking at this closer, two of the eight are rest, so those guys are good. And in Kelly, Taylor, and Tony Brown's case, those three were all working off to the side with members of the athletic training staff, doing some jogging, some aerobic activity. Again, when those guys do that on Wednesdays, that's typically a decent sign. I would say as of right now, Jake, on Thursday morning, Quiddy Pay, who doesn't have a boot on that injured ankle, but Frank Reich said he's going to be evaluated week to week, I would say he does not play Sunday. And then again, I would think Shaquille Leonard does not play because multiple injuries coming back from a concussion, and he was not out there yesterday. Has every local team that people follow had a Tony Brown at some point, by the way? <laughs> like, I know Indiana had – IU had a Tony Brown. The Pacers yeah. had a Tony Brown. Not the same Tony Brown as the – Sounds like a Notre IU. Dame wide out back in the day. It do, or like a DB from, from Notre Dame. Um, in, in terms of the, the things that you just mentioned, the position where the Colts – Kevin have the most depth or room for error when it comes or in other words are there any and I get that injuries you always take with extreme caution but is there a position in your opinion is there a player that if they need extra time to make sure they are 100% mended the the depth that their position affords them that time and is there anybody that you look at and go you know, they might need that guy at 80% because there's nothing else behind him. So you're saying positions that don't have a lot of depth. Correct. A, a position gotcha. where you look at it on the on the injury chart and you're like, I, look, if that guy's a 70% go, he's got to go. Like like Julian Blackman, if, if he's at 80% and they feel like he needs one more week, it almost feels like they can kind of get away with that well how about linebacker whereas Shaquille Leonard right now Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke have really stepped up okay now and we asked that question earlier in the week when Shaq gets back I don't think you just insert him and play him every single snap he's got to prove that he is a hundred percent because I think Franklin and Bobby Okereke have given you pretty good snaps I'm gonna go back to what I said at the beginning of the year and got probably rightly I understandably a lot of heat for when I said that I wasn't I wasn't saying it definitively, but I was starting to wonder or question whether or not Shaquille Leonard was slightly overrated. And I know that his turnover forcing is and his energy are when he is healthy are unparalleled in the league, almost unprecedented in the league. I get it. But the only reason I said it and the reason I had him, I think like four on our list of I can't remember where I had him, but you know, most indispensable players. Maybe I had him one, hell, I don't know, but it did. I, I did wonder whether or not those other guys by committee couldn't pick up 
a lot of what he does. The only thing that they haven't been able to replicate is the turnovers, right? right? Which has been a big deal. It has. I mean, they are near the bottom in turnovers. I would say, to your point, Jake, offensive line. I mean, almost assuredly, right? We talked about it a little bit in the opening segment. They're going to stick with Bernard Ryman at left tackle. Um, And as we, I think, talked about earlier in the week, I understand that. When you draft him and he has as little of experience as he had, not only you know, growing up in Pop Warner and high school football, um, but collegiately he began as a tight end then grew into a tackle, you were going to have to be patient and you're going to have to live with some of the baptism by fire in games. And I think you saw some of that last Thursday, but, you know, talking to Ryman yesterday, and I would agree with them, he felt like he played better in the second half. So Ryman will get the start again at left tackle. I think you got to help him out a little bit more than you did. Again, Quentin Nelson at left guard. If healthy, it's going to be Ryan Kelly at center. Jake, Frank Reich said yesterday that the thought of moving Braden Smith from right tackle to right guard was for two reasons. First, it had nothing to do with Braden Smith's play at right tackle. The Colts feel like their inside run game has been very poor this season. And the center of the pocket has not been as firm and as solid as they would like it. And I understand the thought process in wanting to improve those areas. I still think that when you lose Braden Smith at right tackle, it is such a drastic loss. And we saw it. Matt Pryor gave up the most pressures the NFL has seen this season at right tackle. I still think you could firm it up with maybe a a Pryor at right guard, maybe a Will Fries, something like that. But that was the reasoning for moving Braden Smith inside. And I'm curious if any of that comes from Matt Ryan or Jonathan Taylor expressing some things. Interesting. I mean, you know full well what Peyton Manning thought about the interior of a of a pocket. He'd right. rather have that be firm than the edges. If you're Matt Ryan, you operate in kind of a similar manner with your athleticism and ability to get out of the pocket. I, I, I understand where they're coming from. If you're Jonathan Taylor, though, are you not thinking about the fact that, hey, listen, I, in addition to that, you know, in, in one of the bigger plays of the year when I had, well, not bigger plays of the year, but, I, you know, a critical situation, and I we had to go one yard on a fourth down, and I went left side interior line and got stuffed. What are we doing here? I mean, it's not just the right side, right? I mean, I know that Quentin Nelson is everybody's favorite guy and run the damn ball and pancakes and whatever else, but uh, 20 million, man. Yeah, but you're not moving Nelson. No, I, I get it. Yeah, it, I get it, but that's not to say that the play's been perfect. It's not, no, it, it's not just one area to your point, but I go back to that, gosh, was it a Kansas City game or Tennessee game when Taylor had to leap like two yards short of the line well, of scrimmage? A, you know, th- that play. Right, that's what I mean. I mean, that's he, like the interior breaking down. Right. Um, I would still keep Braden Smith at right tackle. To me, that just means too much. We've seen sacks and fumbles from that side. I get that Braden Smith has not lived up to the right tackle contract, but we saw last Thursday night. Last Thursday night, you didn't have two tackles, let alone one tackle. At least with Braden Smith, you got one. You know, I'm going to speak real quick, and I know we're up against it here, but to, to people that are not – and I. This is very elementary, and I apologize to probably 95% of our audience. But for those that are unfamiliar, you have the center who snaps the ball, obviously. But the guards are the first guys next to the center. Tackles are the ones on the the outside. They're the, they're the, the edge guys, if you will. 
And I know that, and I've asked this myself to Anthony Costanzo before. I think I've asked it to Saturday. I've asked it to Ryan Deem. Is there that big a difference between the way you play? Because theoretically, Kevin, you think to yourself, as people are listening to this, and uh, you know, Steve the architect that's driving into work, or you know, Sally the lawyer that's driving into work that are listening to this, are like, well, what's the difference? There is a definitive difference in movement of the way that you move your feet and the way that you contort your body towards protecting the edge versus the inside of the line. It is a very different discipline in the way that you guard. And so, therefore, moving someone from one to the next, it's not like when you were in middle school and they snap the ball and you just go straight forward to the guy next to you. There is movement of being aware of what's happening on your right or left side if you're on the end or in the middle, etc. I mean, there is a definitive discipline difference between positions. Yeah, I would add movement and space. And Joe Wright, we'll have him on tomorrow. He'll be the perfect guy to throw that to. But yeah, you have a lot more space you're responsible for when you are the guy on the edge. Matt Pryor's talked about how much space he's in charge of, or like you said, Jake, right. how much space he has around him at left tackle versus when he's been a guard. The movement area is a lot more confined in the interior of the O-line. We'll continue the Colts conversation coming up. From the reverse side of it this Sunday, that would be the Jacksonville Jaguars coming in here at two and they're two and three, right? Correct. Two and three coming on the off season. a bad loss, man. Coming off a bad loss to the Houston Texans, they are a one point underdog, one and a half point underdog on Sunday. Mike DiRocco covers the Jacks for ESPN.com. He's coming up next. Eight o'clock hours underway. One house cleaning note real quick. Mentioned it earlier, going to mention it again. If you are heading in towards downtown or anticipating going south, just south of it, I-65 southbound, there's a crash at Central Avenue. Well, uh, I-65 southbound basically towards just by the north split. I-65 south, there's a crash, and it basically is closed. So if you usually use 65 to get into downtown, go ahead and hop off if you're in the car and you're listening. Uh, detour at 30th or 21st Street. One house cleaning note. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, a return guest to the program. We talk to him each time the Colts and Jags getting ready to tussle. He is the Jaguars reporter for ESPN.com. Mike DiRocco joins us. And Mike, I'll tell you what, the Jags are fascinating because depending on which game you'd be coming off of, we could be talking about the fact that perhaps they've arrived or we could be talking about the fact that they're young and still figuring themselves out. I think probably safe to say disappointing coming off of Houston, but the the question is this. What team is going to arrive here at Lucas Oil Stadium? Will the real Jags please stand up? That will be who? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Um, I think the real Jags are the last, are, are the young team trying to figure things out. And when you have that young team trying to figure stuff out, you get a team that can go into uh, Los Angeles and beat the Chargers by 28 points and then lose at home to the Houston Texans. So um, I don't know whether you're going to get the team that showed up in L.A. Um, My guess is that, um, you know, they feel pretty good about themselves this week because of the way they played against the Colts before. Uh, They do know that obviously things are going to be a little bit different. They're probably not going to get some of the same looks on defense. And, and, you know, the the Colts should have some more players available this week than they did uh, you know, that first game, although still unsure about the status of, of uh, Jonathan Taylor. So I, it's hard. I don't even think the coaching staff knows what they're going to get this week. And, and especially, I don't know that they know what they're going to get out of Trevor Lawrence because in the two wins that they have had, he played fantastic. And in the three losses, he has not been very good, and especially last week and against Philadelphia. 
Mike, let's focus there on Trevor Lawrence. Again, Mike DiRocco from ESPN.com is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. I'm probably simplifying this too much, Mike, but it just has the feel that Trevor Lawrence is not very good against 98% of the NFL, and he's really good against the Colts. <laughs> That's what it looks like, doesn't it? I mean, holy cow, two of his best games have been against the Colts. Um, yeah, he's still trying to figure stuff out, and uh, people down here are getting impatient. Um, with him and they feel like you know look this is a supposed generational player generational talent and it's year two and he's still having boneheaded plays like he did last week when he threw the end zone interception from inside the five yard line but um, you know Doug Peterson is certainly um, not impatient he's not giving up on Trevor Lawrence he said that obviously earlier in the week and he said look guys we need to have patience Every, things everyone wants everything immediately and that's just not going to happen. If you look at Trevor Lawrence, three offensive coordinators, three head coaches in three years. And, you know, Peterson pointed back earlier in his uh, tenure here, pointed back to Carson Wentz and said, hey, look, you know, Wentz really kind of took off in that second year in, in the system here. So let's get Trevor Lawrence kind of settled into this system. He's still learning it, still trying to figure all this stuff out. And then let's see what happens in year two. He should be better in year two. Now, you know, that, that's that's great and fantastic, but people in Jacksonville have been sitting around here waiting for a quarterback forever, and there's just not a lot of patience here. But, you know, he when he's played the Colts and he's played, you know, um, pretty well, it's because he's not forced things downfield. He's played within the offense. Um, he's learned that lesson, or, he, or he's, he's, you know, followed the philosophy of just because I can make the throw doesn't mean I should make the throw. Uh, and stop trying to force balls downfield. You know, sometimes the defenses that, that you'll play, like last week, the Lovey Smith and, and what the the, Jay, uh, the the Colts do with Gus Bradley, you, you know, it makes the quarterback be patient and make him take some of the shorter throws and, and, and take the check downs. And, and when he's done that, he's been good. And when he hasn't, he hasn't. So you got to hope if you're the Jags and he remembers what it was like the last two times he played the Colts and, and goes ahead and, and does that again. It's interesting to me, Mike, because, uh, you know, I, I mention this probably every time we talk, but I, I watched Trevor Lawrence a lot in college, every snap he took, as a matter of fact, as a Clemson fan. And Travis Etienne was a safety net for him at Clemson. He had a lot of weapons around him, obviously. Um, and Etienne seemingly was going to be kind of a comfort blanket for him in Jacksonville during his infancy as a quarterback. We know that ETN got hurt last year. Still hasn't really taken off for ETN, but it looks like Jacksonville is starting to figure out how to use him and kind of use a combo in their backfield. Uh, is that a safe statement about ETN and the way he's starting to be incorporated? Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at Doug Peterson's history um, with running backs, he's only had uh, – that's kind of the way he's always used them. He, he's not had a guy that's dominated all of the carries – uh, when he was at Philadelphia, he always had sort of a committee approach. Uh, I don't think he had anyone rush for more than 900 yards um, in his career as the head coach in Philadelphia. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna share some things. Now, last week, ETN actually had a few more snaps uh, than James Robinson. Um, so they're, they're mixing these guys in and kind of, you know, they want to go with a hot hand, Doug Peterson says. But last week, Travis Etienne averaged seven yards a carry, and he hardly got any touches in the second half. Um, you know, and, and Doug Peterson is not a guy who likes to run the ball a ton. He wants to throw it around. So we'll see how it works. You know, I, I, I think that there's going to be weeks where James Robinson 
is the, the bulk of the work, and there's going to be weeks where ETN is going to be the bulk of the work. And uh, this looks like a game, I think, that it might be James Robinson. Um, you know, I think they want to try and run the ball again, kind of take some pressure off Trevor Lawrence. And if there are some throws, there will be some quicker, shorter throws. And, and that may favor ETN for sure, but I do think this is going to be a bigger workload for James Robinson this week. Mike DiRocco is with us here. Again, he covers the Jags for ESPN.com. And uh, he's with us on Kevin and Query. Mike, uh, the Colts are in a seven-game stretch of scoring 20 points or less. In that stretch, they've played some pretty bad defenses, to be honest with you. I look at Jacksonville, though, and I'm like, man, across the board, they they look like a pretty sound, like, top 10 defense. Is that too premature to crown them that this, at this point of the season? Uh, no, I mean, I, I would say that they're – I don't know that I would essentially call them a top 10. I think they're pretty darn good, and they're much better than they were. And until last week, they had certainly been thriving on forcing turnovers, which was something that they hadn't done um, last year. They had only nine of la- all of last year, and they're already past that mark now, or they're at that mark now. Um, and we're, what, six games or going into the sixth week. Uh, they're getting more pressure on the quarterback than they did last year, and their linebackers are much better, can really run in the middle with Devin Lloyd, the, the, the rookie, and Foye Luikin, the, the guy they signed uh, in free agency from the Falcons. So they're, they're a much, much better unit. You know, there are still some questions in the secondary, um, but you know, th- turning the ball over can kind of mask a lot of issues, and they've been ahead in some games too. They were ahead, obviously, in the Colts game. They were ahead in the Chargers game big. So when you're able to do that, you're able to pin back ears and go rush, and that rush and cover stuff comes in, into play, and then there you got another turnover and stuff. So um, they were pretty good against the run until the Eagles put 210 on them. Uh, but that was Foyer, or excuse me, Foley Fadakasi, and the nose tackle was out. And I think he's going to play this week. So we'll see if that you know helps that run defense. But they are much, much better off a defense than they have been. And if you look – the games they lost, they weren't in them until the end. So I guess if you're looking for, um, you know, a silver lining, if you're a Jags fan, it's like the defense has kept them from getting blown out, which wasn't the case in the last several years. When I look back on that shutout loss in week two for the Colts, the fact that Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce weren't on the field for that matchup, I think is just huge. I felt like Jacksonville didn't respect Indianapolis at all on the perimeter, and rightfully so. Um, they stuffed Jonathan Taylor, and then obviously when, it, when the Colts got behind the chains, they just feasted in getting after Matt Ryan. Personnel-wise, Pittman and Pierce back for this one. Uh, what, if anything, has changed for Jacksonville since these two teams met about a month ago? Um, you know, they should be back to – I mean, they should be at full strength. So personnel-wise, they're going to be – it'll be the same group of guys. Now, um, you know, there's some nicks and, and, you know, bruises and stuff everybody's dealing with at this point. But, you know, that was a huge, huge factor in that first game. I mean, it, it, that, that Colts offense didn't – I mean, it had nothing to scare you in the pass game, not a thing. And they were able to really kind of tee off on, on Matt Ryan and – you know, when you get a quarterback that's not real mobile and you get that push up the middle, it, it, it can be an ugly day, and, and that's what we saw. And I think Foley, uh, you know, Fadakasi is, is mainly, a, you know, he's a was signed to be a run stuffer, but he's been pretty solid in terms of, you know, getting interior pressure when he's been on the field in those passing downs. So, you know, I think that that's what they're going to still try and do is get more pressure up the middle, uh, send some guys through those A-gaps on blitzes and try and get Matt Ryan to move. But, you know, having those two guys makes that offense a little bit more complete 
and, and this will be interesting to see if the Jags are able to handle those two guys on the edge. Mike DeRocco is our guest. Payless Slicker's guest line is where he is currently. He is the writer for ESPN.com. He's in Jacksonville, actually. His voice is on the Payless Slicker's guest line. Um, Mike, here's the deal. Jacksonville has had success, obviously, against the Colts. As we have talked about over the course of this interview, Doug Peterson is a guy that is still kind of trying to put his thumbprint on what Jacksonville does. Are there tweaks that we will see out of the Jags that are fam- that are unfamiliar to Indianapolis on Sunday? Or is there enough body of work for the Jags to say, you know what, this is the one franchise that what we have done against them is going to work, so let's just stick right with the same game plan? Um, I, I think m- not necessarily completely the same game plan, but I think they're going to try, obviously, to do some of the same things they did because they know with the Gus Bradley defense, you kind of get what you get. They don't do a lot of exotic things. Um, you know, they try and get the pressure with four. Um, you know, that was the defense Bradley ran when he was down here in Jacksonville for those uh, what six seasons, five seasons. So, I mean, Jags fans are intimately familiar with that. And, you know, if, if, if they can get the pressure with four, then things can be really good for them. If they don't, then it could be a long day. Uh, the one thing I think the Jags are going to try and do again will be get Christian Kirk matched up in the middle of the field with a linebacker. Um, and, and that's something Christian Kirk's going to win nine times out of ten. So I think that they'll try that early again to see if they can have some success with that. Um, but I think for the most part, I don't, you know, I don't expect to see anything exotic out of the Jags. Um, you know, they just really, like I said, want to get the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hands pretty quickly. And, you know, they'll have some stuff that, that he's able to do that, maybe a few more swing passes, uh, you know, some screens, stuff like that. But uh you know, I don't think they expect anything crazy out of the, the Colts defense either. Yeah, those perfect opening drives for Lawrence. Last year, week 18, earlier this year, week two, absolutely maddening for the Colts. I think that, frankly, has set the tone for Lawrence's big days in each of those matchups. Mike, last one for me, and I'll save the hardest till the end. Um, boy, uh, it's not a ringing endorsement of maybe one of these divisional teams making a run in January, but if you had to pick a AFC South favorite on October 13th, who would be the winner of the loser division? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Uh, you know what? Nobody over the last three or four years responds better after getting punched in the mouth in the Tennessee Titans. And look where they are now after getting punched in the mouth early in the season. So um, I like Mike Vrabel. I think his teams are tough. I think his teams are, um, you know, uh, resilient. So I, I'm going to go with the Titans. Um, you know, it's hard not to, you know, they've got some ten, uh, playoff experience. You know, I'm not a big Ryan Tannehill guy, but I mean, you know, he's led this team to the playoffs, led them to the number one seed in the AFC last year. So um, I think I'm going to go with Rabel and the Titans. Okay. My last question for you is this, Mike, what is the perception of Indianapolis? The Colts, I mean, I mean, you are a Jaguars rider. That means you've got to keep, you know, kind of an eye on what the Colts are doing as well as the other teams in the AFC South. We have our opinions or observations in Indianapolis, but the outside market thought on the Colts is what? They're not as close as they think they are. Um, you know, the, the, the reason you're going and getting a Phillip Rivers at the end of his career and a Carson Wentz and a Matt Ryan at the end of his career is because you feel like you're that quarterback away. And the veteran quarterback is going to get you there. Um, and that's just not been the case, as we've seen. And, and 
you know, there are other issues. Um, you know, wh- who's the game-breaking playmaker other than Jonathan Taylor? Um, you know, is it Pittman? I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, maybe he becomes that eventually. But I think that's the perception, at least here in Jacksonville, um, that, you know, maybe the Colts um, have a higher – or maybe the Colts management has a higher opinion of where they are in terms of being, you know, elite in a team that can compete for a Super Bowl than what they actually are. Mike DiRocco again, ESPN.com. He joins us every time the Colts and Jags meet up. It's been 10 straight wins by the home team in this matchup. Mike, safe travels up here, and we'll see you in the press box on Sunday. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Mike DiRocco on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, how many people in the world do you think non-Amazon Prime division will for some reason have attended the Colts-Broncos game last Thursday and will also be at the Commanders-Bears oh, game boy. tonight? Um, how many people are either a glutton for punishment or... I mean, that that just feels like the... Do you think the NFL should give them Super Bowl tickets for life if they No, if they I mean, Colts-Broncos going into it was not going to be a bad game, right? And then it was just uh, ugly. I... It's just the commanders bears. There's no offense, Mark. There's just nothing that jumps out at people, right? Now, Region Brian will probably be watching it. Who sends me the following tweet? It, Brian does nothing but troll the two of us for any occasion he can, but he listens yeah. for like three hours a day, so it's appreciated. Hey, that's all that um, matters. Sounds like you won't be watching the game on Sunday then because of your quote trip. Shocker. Um, you said you might be there. Yeah, I may go to the game for crying out loud. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, and I know this is going to be hard for Brian to understand. I, Brian probably doesn't have a lot of buddies, and so he didn't have anybody that passed away, and he does an annual trip in their honor to to honor them. Um, but if he did, he would probably understand that this is a, a strange phenomenon in 2022. But there are things now called uh, a DVR. Um, there's also you, NFL Mobile. And I, I know that this is hard to imagine in 2022, but the NFL is a fairly popular product that – um, you can get like basically anywhere. You can watch games just about anywhere you are. So I, I know that we're going to New Orleans, which is not exactly in, you know, like a different continent. So it probably would be able to see the game if I'm not there. But I may well still be at the game on Sunday. Now, have you guys decided on the SEC game you'll be attending? Uh, I believe oh, Or we, is that in the cards? We are going to Ole Miss-Auburn because it's a noon kick in Oxford so that – Allows us then time to bail, you know, after three quarters, whatever, get back on the road. And probably get back here for the game on Sunday. Probably every SEC team qualifies, but Oxford's known for their tailgating, right? Correct. Um, I've only been through Oxford one time, but I, I'm i I'm excited. And you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, and Regent Bryan will love this. Archie Manning, of course, played at the University of Mississippi, as did Eli. And the speed limit in town is what was his dad's number it was he 16 or 18 i, I, I would have guessed guess 16 but maybe it was yeah. 18 anyway the speed limit in town is archie manning's jersey number so i'm staying as much in contact with the colts brian while gone as possible did they change that to eli 10? no no <laughs> people i'm people not going 10 <laughs> yeah people would have just absolutely you know revolted had that been the case um Tonight, it's Commanders favored by one. I'll reiterate what I said in the opening segment. Carson Wentz dealing with, with does he biceps tendon injury? Um, he was on the injury report this week with a shoulder injury. God, the Colts need him to stay healthy. The Colts oh, need it's Taylor Heineke time again. Listen, 
They need Carson Wentz to stay healthy and not be awful. They need not only him to stay healthy, that's it. They need them to stay relevant, right? That too. And right now, I mean, they are so far from relevant in a division that, again, at the start of the year when the Colts got their schedule in May and it was AFC West and NFC East, I thought that's a unreal AFC West and a not very good NFC East, and I was dead wrong. AFC West has certainly not lived up to that preseason hype. And the NFC East right now, 5-0 and Eagles, 4-1 and Cowboys, 4-1 and Giants, all still on the Colts schedule. Is, is Daniel Snyder in hot water? Apparently he claims he's got... Can you fire the owner? He hired private investigators to investigate other owners in the league and Roger Goodell and claims that like, if they come after him too hard, he'll release information. Did I read that correctly? Really? Can the owners vote an owner out? What happened in the NBA? I, I think I, I guess I, I don't know. Is that an NFL rule? Well, Kevin, I don't think he was ever going to be voted out, but I think there was discussion about Jim Irsay being losing some power of the Colts when he was having some issues about fifteen or twenty years ago, and the, the team. I guess do the owners the have team that being authority? moved? I, I know this. I don't know. I do know this. When Bob Ursay moved the Colts from Baltimore to Indianapolis, it was such an unpopular move that the other owners voted for a, a you know, basically a rule that you could not move a franchise without 80% approval by the rest of the league. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that, yes, there are rules in place where collectively owners can jurisdict over a single owner speaking of albert albert breer says nfl general counsel jeff pash confirmed what roger roger goodell said to believe this back in during the super bowl week uh that nfl league bylaws say that nfl owners can in fact vote other owners out and force him or her to sell Hmm. speaking of overruling um i did see the nfl noted yesterday that they will not be making any changes to the roughing the passer penalties that penalties involving player safety are of utmost importance, and that is extra relevant this weekend because uh, the head official for the Colts and Jags is Jerome Boger. He was the one who threw the flag on Grady Jarrett against Tom Brady this past weekend mm. for mm. roughing the passer. If a slight breeze come Matt Ryan's way, mm-hmm. fall to the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, there hasn't been much that's been needed to knock Matt Ryan to the ground, nor sure. knock the ball out, but... If a yellow hanky comes with it, well worth the it. The yellow hanky is the little flag that eventually quarterbacks will be wearing, and all you got to do is yank Seriously. on that, and then it's a down, right? Seriously. Uh, time for a morning check down here. Scott Agnes in about 10 minutes. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, people seem to like Mike DiRocco's assessment of the Colts. That yeah, I got some texts about Mike DiRocco. They really enjoyed the interview. That um, when he said, look, I think the Colts aren't as close as they think they are. I thought that was accurate, and I thought his Tennessee assessment was accurate. Totally. Mike Vrabel teams just find ways. Uh, San Diego last night, 5-3 over the Dodgers in Major League Baseball in the NLDS. That squares things at a game apiece. So, too, the other series after Atlanta's 3 nothing win over the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> Last night, the Pacers, 109-100. They come back to win their preseason home opener over the Knicks. It was one for the rookies. Benedict Matherin off the bench, 27 points in 29 minutes. That's Kevin watching the game. Okay. 
No. What was it you said earlier this morning? Did we have that audio? If you're going to play my no comment blooper the other day, do you have oh, that I audio, didn't Mark? Pull Kevin's Come either. on, Mark. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, it's teaming up on finding audio of me here. We have, we have got problems with your no, nip, not uh, that, your, not that. Not your nips, that's for sure. Come on, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm gone tomorrow. You guys can just have fun all you want. Andrew Nemhard, make fun of me all you want. Nine last night. Not your nips, that's for sure. Okay, okay, thanks. He did have a few turnovers, but some big shots from the Gonzaga product late. It was at 7:06 this morning. Mark, do you not have that audio? I haven't pulled it yet. I will. Well, okay, I got <laughs> really? Okay. Now say, both right? of you are on the same page. Okay, go ahead, Kevin, as you were. Pacers will have one more preseason <laughs> game this Friday against Houston. Benedict Matherin again. He was the highlight last night. But here was Rick Carla afterwards on the young guys coming back in the fourth quarter to get the W. Our younger guys really ex- experienced some some growth opportunity tonight. You know, when they went in in the, in the first slash second quarter, it didn't go particularly well. Um I didn't think our level of presence or our level of fight was where it needed to be, and the score reflected it. And, uh, you know, in the second half, they really redeemed themselves just from a competitive standpoint. And I think it learned a lot about what it's going to take for us to win games. Does Rick have a head cold? He sounded a little nasally. Sounded like me a few weeks back. Rick Carlisle next week, Jake, on the show? Uh, Yeah, you know what? I got to check my email on that. But, yes, I believe so. Uh, right before the season opener. Now, looking ahead to college football this weekend, it'll be Indiana hosting Maryland. They're a double-digit underdog. Purdue is hosting Nebraska. That's two two 2-1 teams in the Big Ten West. Again, Purdue, with Aiden O'Connell healthy, they are my Big Ten West favorite. Uh, They've got to just hold serve at home. They are nearly a two-touchdown point favorite. Uh, Notre Dame has got Stanford. Doesn't Clemson have a somewhat notable game? Uh, Clemson's at Florida State. That's right. Uh, Michigan, Penn State, Alabama, Tennessee. Pretty good college football slate here this week. Disappointing. I'm going to be on the road and thus, as a result, have no access to football. Yeah, and Ole Miss-Auburn is not one of the marquee matchups. And Ole Miss in the top ten, buddy. Well, Auburn could be looking for... Hotty toddy. Auburn might have you come down to the visiting sideline and coach. (laughs) Uh, The Colts injury report, I went over it earlier. It's long, but I don't think it's as alarming as it initially looks. We'll see how today... Uh, looks no Ryan Kelly yesterday, no Jonathan Taylor. Both were off to the side doing some work, though. So does that progress into those guys practicing today? That'll be something that I'll be watching for. Julian Blackman, Naheem Hines, and Tyquan Lewis all got back to practice yesterday. Tyquan Lewis is one. How many snaps has he taken this year? Well, he's about to take a lot without Quiddy Pay, I would think. Yeah. I would think him or Dio Dangbo will be needed a whole lot. Um, Taekwon, when DeForest Buckner was out a couple weeks ago, or was limited, I should say, um, he played a good amount. So I think the role for Taekwon Lewis could rise here. Uh, Scott Agnes, by the way, going to join us just about five minutes from now. But also, uh, while we've got you here and while we're going over headlines, yesterday this came out. This happens every single autumn. It's a very important headline, a public service announcement, really. We, we are obligated by FCC rules to you know do so much public service announcement broadcasting on this radio station. Uh, this will be 30 seconds that we will put in the uh, credit to us file in terms of public service announcements. This is an annual rite of passage from my mom in the fall, everybody. Listen carefully. It's very important information. Hi, Jake. This is mom. Um, it's that time of year when I need to get the message out Mm -hmm. to everyone. Mm -hmm. Could you please let everyone know that it's time for the leaves to fall and it's time for sprinkles and rain. Mm -hmm. And when you mix rain and leaves together on the road, they're lethal. Mm -hmm. 
You just have to really be careful with your driving, mm-hmm. and um, but also you need to enjoy the colors. Oh, the yeah. colors are beautiful on the leaves Gorgeous. right now, but just drive carefully. Okie doke. Thanks. Bye. Cats, they're lethal, she says. Now, can you send that to 60 Minutes? Maybe they can lead off with that on Sunday after the 425. Uh, you know, Bill's Chiefs leading into 60 Minutes. That'd be the perfect time for Karen's PSA to be Well, heard. around 420, it's the non-lethal leaves. So, yeah, 425 oh, would be good for that, right? I was really glad she clarified his mom. <laughs> My, my dad texts me, and listen, I'm very lucky to have both my parents, I realize. My dad will text me and then signs it, Dad. Yeah, no, I know, Dad. I've got, yeah, I've got your number stored. Double checking, similar to you and your algebra work. You know, let's make sure everything My dad works. still leaves the That's voicemail, right. and he tells me the time that he calls. Hey, it's uh, 537 <laughs> on Tuesday afternoon. Give me, my dad, just text me. I see God. you called. You don't right. have to leave I found myself voicemail. doing that the other day, and literally, I just thought to myself, I am so old all of a sudden. How often do you leave text messages anymore? Voice message, you mean voice, voice I mean, excuse voice me, voice Yeah, mails. very rarely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very rarely. Very rarely. All right, Scott Agnes, he's next here to talk about the Pacers and Benedict Matherin last night. You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jake, I don't know if you saw last night, um, Scott Agnes did not source me on this, but that's fine. Uh, phase four of the Pacers' GameBridge renovations will be the Benedict Matherin statue. That's right. They're, they're going to add that. That's right. To, that's supposed to be done by Saturday. Yeah, done by Saturday. Going to be crystal clear for the All-Star game coming up in a year, but they just finalized those plans last night. And Scott Agnes is on the Payless Liquors hotline to chat about the game last night. Scott, obviously, um, my love for Benedict Matherin is well documented. I I feel like what you heard post-game is part of why I just think there's so much potential there. Like, I just think this dude is wired the right way. His talent on the floor, I think, is rather obvious. But I love, love how he ticks. Yeah, no, 100%. Last night was fun, uh, considering just being a preseason game. Um, good to be back at the field house and everything. But with, with Mathering, yeah, and we, we've seen this, I feel like, since the draft. Um, just in how he operates, how he goes about things, how he just has complete belief in himself. But it's not like overbearing or um, right. it's not a cocky arrogance. It's just being completely and entirely confident in oneself, which I think we all strive to be, right? And then, then even better, when he gets out on the floor, it, you know, he's doing everything he asks. He's making some mistakes. He's leaning on the coaches. There's a lot to like. I think part of it, too, just comes from his background. I mean, you know, unfortunately, his father was really never in his life. His older brother, his best friend, I think maybe older brother, I don't know, maybe it was his twin. I, I'd have to double-check that. You know, died tragically in a bike accident. He's got to go to Mexico at a young age. I mean, you go to a foreign country at the age of 15 or 16, you're all you've got. And I, I feel like that background, as tragic as it is, has helped shape him, certainly, into the type of individual that we see right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. I can't imagine picking up and leaving and going down to Mexico and trying to figure that all out by yourself and learn a foreign language. Now he knows four and is working on another one. Um, just an incredibly sharp and determined um, human. And the biggest thing, and I tweeted this last night, 
he's like the definition of competitor and it's about everything. It's not just basketball. It's, it could be, um, you know, whether it's in personal life or it's a little side drill after practice, not just games like this guy is just intense and wants to win and compete. And that's a trait that the Pacers really were after this offseason. You know, it is not unprecedented in this market with this franchise, Scott Agnes, talking about the Pacers, to have two stars that kind of arrive simultaneously and then having to decide which one you roll with. Uh, Chuck Person, Reggie Miller comes to mind. You know, both of them kind of came into their own around the same time. Miller just slightly behind. My point being with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, uh, good problem to have, don't get me wrong, and way early perhaps to say definitively it will take place. But is this a franchise that may have to ultimately decide which one is Batman, which one's Robin, and what they do with it? I don't think so in this case, only because from what I see is I don't see Tyrese ever being that number one guy, the go-to guy, the you know that type of thing. Like late game situation, you knew Reggie was going to get it. Now Tyrese might take it, he might want it. I actually probably want it in his hands, but he doesn't necessarily need to take the shot. The best scenario might be him passing it off to Matherin, to Buddy Heal, to someone like that. Um, I see Tyrese almost more pass first than he needs to be. Um, that was one of my biggest criticism last year. However, with the recognition that he was new to this situation and just trying to, he was living out of a hotel and trying to figure it out as he could. Um, but I, I see Halliburton ultimately in a best case scenario is being like your third best player, maybe your second best player, but doing all the little stuff, being the leader, being the floor general, being that coach on the floor. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best player. Scott Agnes from Field Ass Files. He's with us here on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Kind of on that Halliburton note, we saw yesterday the Pacers pick up uh, fourth-year options for Halliburton and Aaron Neesmith. So that would be for next season. Um, Isaiah Jackson and Chris Duarte, those third-year options also for next season. I assume all that was pretty transactional, Scott. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Halliburton can sign a pretty big extension next offseason. They don't have to, but that would make sense for the Pacers trying to keep him long-term. Yeah, in terms of the rookie-scale options, that's just a matter of formality. You you start doing that um, after that first year, and you have until the end of October. So they did it a couple weeks earlier than they technically had to do so, but um, this franchise, in almost every case, um, does it before the regular season, puts that out of sight, out of mind, let's just move on. And most of the time, it's pretty obvious, right? The one the one that gets attention was uh, when they declined, right, Solomon Hill. He didn't really play that the season until like the last month. Played great, went to the Toronto series, played well, hit some threes, and then uh, then he was able to, I think, uh, go sign, what was it, New Orleans maybe, and, and get a, a really strong contract. Um, and then in terms of Tyrese, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and generally, this team wants to sign these the players coming off a rookie scale option, especially those featured first round picks. They did it with Miles, uh, and that that went down the wire like the final thirty minutes um, in October of that year. It's actually today, I believe. This is yeah, on my calendar. 
I have, I have it from uh, whatever it was three years ago. And then same thing with Doma. So they'll absolutely want to do that. And then it just is up to whether them, them and Tyrese can get on the same page before the season or if it's something that has to wait. But I think it would probably get done. Scott, I don't know the answer to this, which is why I'm going to ask. I, I don't know um, even how much it's been discussed internally, but – with the retool, we're going to call it that. It's a rebuild. With the rebuild of the Pacers and with Rick Carlisle being a veteran coach, do you believe that Rick Carlisle was the last one that had to be sold on this guy? And that's not a knock on him at all. I'm just saying, like, do you think that when Rick Carlisle was hired in Indiana that he knew this ultimately was what he was going – the task that he was going to be undertaking along with Kevin Pritchard, or do you think they had to sell him on it? I think the last person – was Herb Simon that they had to sell on this idea of, hey, we need to hit the lottery again and let's go for one more rebuild type year. Um, in terms of Rick, yeah, I, I don't, he had, from, from our, all our conversations, he had no intentions of a rebuild. He thought he was picking it up where it was and trying to shape it. And with his expertise, his experience, a little bit of coaching, hopefully some good health, that they could be that four, five, six team in the Eastern Conference once again and, you know, win a playoff series for the first time in three or four years. He was hoping for that. And so I think it was somewhat of a reality check after really going into training camp or that first month. I mean, if you remember, even before camp, Edmund Sumner out for the season with an injury. Before the year, uh, again, T.J. Warren, uh, it's going to be week, a matter of weeks, not months. He never did play. Well, there's two guys in your rotation that never did play that season on top of other guys with, with injuries and, and then all the different stuff. So I, I think it took several months as well. But Rick then, he, he's, he loves teaching, master of instruction. And so I think once he could turn and, and hit that reality that this is going nowhere, I think then his opinion shifted to like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of teaching and this could be a lot of fun. Scott, I've got a couple, and Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files, he's with us here on Kevin and Corey. Got a couple of rotation questions. Um, I think for reasons you would want to play TJ McConnell Andrew, and Andrew Nemhard, not necessarily together, but McConnell just, he gets everybody involved. I think he'll really help you evaluate your roster. Um, and Nemhard, of course, you want to give minutes to because he's a rookie and you feel like he's probably the backup point guard of the future. How do you think they divvy up those minutes? Um, I guess I'll start there and then I'll ask the other one. Yeah, I think for one, in an ideal world, nobody's playing 35, 39, 41 minutes this year in general, right? There's going to be some uh, one-off scenarios in overtime game. But I think in general, one, everybody's minutes come down a little bit. Rick's already said that he wants to play at least a 10-man rotation. Most most teams will play nine, sometimes eight. Uh, obviously, it gets shorter once it comes to the postseason um with, with mcconnell you got to give him i think at least 20 25 minutes per game and then yeah and then nimhard needs some time as well the thing i've learned here uh just over time is it, it'll figure itself out sometimes in ways you don't want right like injuries last year where it's Kiefer sykes then it's or it's brad wanamaker then it's lance just because nobody's healthy so I think they'll figure out a way to make it work because Nemhard's so good. He was the number one guy that everybody was highlighting uh, during training camp. And I thought last night, yes, Matherin was terrific, 
but finally we were able to see Nemhard, and, and it, it was was as good as advertised, I thought, and how he confidently went into his shot, which we've seen, you know, from his playing days. But also, I love the nine assists and how he tried to take command of the floor in his first time playing in the field house. And, and st- still, I was asking him post game about like learning to see his teammates' tendencies. Like as a point guard, that's absolutely huge, knowing what they like and also knowing where they're going to be. He's like, yeah, I'm not even sure how long that's going to take. We'll see. Yeah, I would agree. It was it was the shots. He looked confident, not afraid of those moments there late in the game. Um, and then the other name, they flashed to the bench obviously a lot last night, and you see Daniel Tice. And I'm reminded when I see Daniel Tice, who they got in that Boston trade, that dude yeah. has started over 20 playoff games in his career. Um would he be the backup center or is that Isaiah Jackson's minutes? Like, how do you see Daniel Tice being used? That's Isaiah Jackson's minutes. Um, gets, I don't know if awkward's the right word, but it's just, they're, they're in two separate worlds. Meaning sure. Pacer is trying to rebuild, get other guys minutes. Tice just got his big contract a year ago. He's under contract for a couple more years. Wants to be on the playoff team was incredibly disappointed to be stunned and be dealt by the Boston Celtics. He was not expecting that and then had to pick up and come here to Indianapolis and, and try to figure it out. No, oh, by the way, there's a log jam at center. Um, so I don't expect him to finish the season here. I fully expect the Pacers and him to try to find a trade that makes sense. It's The trouble is, Kevin, is there's just not many trades that go down at this time of year. Um, usually you have to get to late December, January, Team has injuries, team has depth issues, a guy doesn't pan out. Um, but I, I think you could probably expect for him to get dealt once a team is actually in the market for, for a player like him. Uh, let me ask you real quick, Scott. Scott Agnes, our guest, Fieldhouse Files, where you can read his work. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. Uh, a couple of names of Pacers past that I, I want to touch on real quick, okay? Just because I think there are people that probably wonder what became of these guys. You know where this is going, I'm sure. Lance Stevenson, still a free agent, correct? Correct. Okay. TJ Warren signed with Brooklyn back in July. Do we? Not that it matters now, but he was a nice guy. You know, look, there's no reason to dislike TJ Warren. I thought he exceeded expectation in Indiana. Good, solid player. Uh, now with the Nets, I have no idea. Is he going to be able to play, or do we know where things stand there? He's not available, has not played in the preseason. They said they're going to take it slow, and I I think you probably won't see him for another month or so. So it's to be determined there, unfortunately. Yeah, nice player too, but it was – I hate to see that. I know, but – Scott, last one from me. Um, Any positives, negatives? It seemed mostly positive on my end um, from people in Valley Sports. Uh, Streaming-wise, Valley Sports Plus, what was the feedback you heard from people last night? I'll tell you what, I didn't get any feedback. So it's either uh, worked flawlessly and was really good or it's preseason and nobody used their seven-day free trial uh, or sign up to catch the preseason game. But I, I did not hear any feedback either way. No news is good news, I would think, on that front, there right? If people had issues with it. I, you know, I have cable. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, I think one person tweeted at me a little bit of a glitch. But sometimes I've noticed that with Amazon Prime that can be kind of on the user end with um with that uh scott thank you very much and enjoying these conversations every thursday here at the pacer season uh starting officially next week absolutely thank you
Scott Agnes right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Gosh, TJ Warren, Jake. Kind of forgot about him, didn't you? Man, I'll never forget that bubble. Oh, he was. You know, somebody told me they was were like. Was that the first game back from the bubble? I know it was the Pacers' yeah, first game, but was that the NBA's had, first game? That might have been. He had 40-something. I and thought it was 50-something. I think Denary told me. Denary's like, look. He did like the thing about TJ Warren. He just wants to play. He doesn't care about the the lights, oh, yeah. the glitz. You know, he's just he's just a pickup guy, and that's what he was that day. And yeah, MVP when, baby, bubble MVP. When you kind of roll, or David West is one of your mentors, I would say that's a pretty good thing in terms of how you're wired. Um, I thought the Chris Denary Connecticut commercials were very good last night. <laughs> the, the, Do you know well, the, the dogs drink the say, Connecticut the dogs, water? Of course, right? Yeah, rescue dogs, two of them. Chris Denary loves two things, the Pacers and his his rescue dogs and his Connecticut water. Three things. This is a friendly house, welcoming house. I know Chris does a lot of yard work. It's an older home that they renovated. Very nice. It's yeah. kind of like Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Good to see that back in action last night. Again, the Pacers and the Rockets tomorrow night to close out the preseason. Next week to start the regular season, it's three straight at home. Wizards, uh, I think it's Wizards, Pistons and Spurs. I'm not sure if it's in that order, but um, I know the Wizards are opening night. Um, be nice if they could get a couple of those. You you really want to see them get to 30 here, don't you? You're really on the 30 bandwagon. I did think last night it was a reminder without Halliburton at times, like their depth. It, it just, I mean, there are minutes where it's like, oh man, this is a long stretch not to have like a marquee guy in the game. Now, obviously, no Halliburton was huge, but they weathered it, and the young guys, not only Nemhard and Matherin late, but you know who had some big shots late was Goga. Goga! A couple big threes, Goga, and the Kristen Airy call of Benedict Matherin's dunk was pretty unpreseasoned. <laughs> like, I love the emotion. You know, because you watched it 19 times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Maddie's like, will you please come to bed? I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to watch this a few more times. God. Mark Dykton shakes his head. Coming from Mark Dykton, who literally said to Joe Madden, Hey, Joe Madden, I'm, we're so happy to have you on the show today. I just want to thank you so much for what you did a few years ago. And um, um, is this your number? N- not that I want to keep it, but, you know, I just might say Merry what Christmas. A, what a, that was sacrilegious what you just did right there. All right, Kevin, I'm pulling up audio. You did you fanboy now. it pretty hard. After he calls me out for Tiger Woods. I just don't want to pigeon my whole... <laughs> There's more where that came from. That was a while ago. Do you have 706 this morning by chance? You waited till day 20 here at Grand Park to whip that out. (laughs) We're going. Zach Kiefer joins us in about 10 minutes here. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, the fan. Whoa, did Easter Bunny get inside it? Jake, how about this from um, CBS Sports? Talk about a polar opposite from last season. The Colts are the first team since the 95 Chargers to not allow a fourth quarter point through five weeks. The only team to ever shut out their opponents in the fourth quarter through six weeks of a season. The 1934 Lions and Bears. (laughs) Oh, really? Where were the Tigers? Happened twice in 34. Happened twice? The 34 Lions and the 34 Bears. Probably because, you know, I don't know, little things like no one was passing the football then, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Last year, I felt like fourth quarters were big issues for the Colts. Chris Ballard's like, you think the 34 Bears cared about their wideout room, Bowen? <laughs> huh? I bet they were taking lots of calls on their call-in telegram shows. 
How about uh, this? Pigeon just flew in. Let's see what Tommy <laughs> from New Delaware has to say. How about this in terms of points allowed by the Colts last season per quarter? They allowed 69 points in the first. Nice. They allowed 83 in the second. <laughs> they allowed good 57 in the third quarter. And they allowed 147. Hold on. Can you give me those numbers in the one fourth. more time? 69, yep. 83, 57, and then 147. Okay. 147? That was the fourth quarter number. Gosh, I mean, that's what? It's nearly triple the third quarter number. Are you That's doing a, a math problem with that? I am. 356, which would be divided by four. That would give you uh, 89. Congrats on your 100% the other day, by Thank the you. Way. Thank you, Mark. This year it's been 30 in the first, 41 in the second, 23 in the third, and they have not allowed a single fourth quarter or overtime point. They are outscoring opponents 30 to nothing in the fourth quarter and overtime. Now, a big chunk of that happened week one, right? With Houston? You know what would be a good matchup would be that against the 34 Lions, right? Would you rather take the 34 Lions offensive line or the Colts line? <laughs> I'd take the 34 Lions now, <laughs> right? We're, we're going both ways here. <laughs> Who is the 34 Lions right tackle? <laughs> and is he available? Sonny Jones was the uh was Dig the him right up tackle, and prop yeah. him up. See what we can get. Yep. Won a national title at Army a few years before that and then played for the Lions. All right, just th- the NFL films on Slappy Fillmore down the right side. <laughs> yeah. Elijah's watching the NFL films with that one. Uh, Sack Kiefer joins us next here at Talk Colts. You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, I have right here in the palm of my hand the starting offensive line of the 1934 Fighting Motman uh, Detroit Lions. You ready? (laughs) The 1934 Lions offensive line. We're going offensive line, right? Uh, We've got Ray Richards, a 6'1", 230-pound tackle out of Nebraska. The center... Claire Randolph, 6'2", 204, out of Indiana. Good polling guard at 204. Fighting Hoosiers, that's right. Mm-hmm. Part-time milkman, part-time guard. <laughs> Russ Lay. As we said, IU produces a lot of offensive linemen. Russ yeah. Lay, like Mottman out of Michigan State, 5'11", 198, the guard. <laughs> also at guard, Sam Knox, 6'2", 213, out of New Hampshire. Might be skinny as a twig, but he's strong as an ox. <laughs> Jack Johnson, the 6'4". Tackle out of Utah. Tom Hupke. That's the big hog molly, Jack now, Johnson. Is he a singer, Jack Johnson? T- he is. Tom Hupke out of Alabama. See, I mean, this is probably their guy, right? He was a guard. 5'10", 192. <laughs> the Quint Nelson of the 1934 Lions. Uh, I'm sorry, that must be point guard. Uh, and finally, at guard, giving depth at the position, Maury, uh, Maury Bodinger, 5'10", 214 out of Tulane. Povich? Was Povich named after? That's right. You are not the center. Uh, Chuck Bernard, also a center, 6'3", 225 out of Michigan. For those wondering why the hell we're talking the 1934 Lions offensive line, uh, the Colts have not allowed a single point in the fourth quarter of the season. If they stretch that to six games on Sunday, that would be the first team to accomplish that feat since the 34 Lions and the 34 Bears. And I was simply saying, can we at least get some of their offensive linemen? Don't want to overlook Mark's 34 
Bears. Zach Kiefer's going to join us here in a few minutes. We talked a little bit about the Colts injury report yesterday. When you look at it, especially compared to Jacksonville's, I don't think Jacksonville had a single guy mispractice yesterday. It's very long. Uh, eight Colts did not practice, and I don't think that includes Philip Lindsay, who is on the practice squad, so he does not appear on the official injury report. I did not spot him yesterday out there. But I think when you look closer at that list, really, Quiddy Pay with his ankle injury, and then Shaquille Leonard with the back concussion and broken nose, those are the two that I would put in the very iffy for Sunday category. Stephon Gilmore was rest. Yannick Ngakwe was rest. Jonathan Taylor and Ryan Kelly were both. Mark, I think you're on the air. Were both off to the side um, working with the athletic training staff. So the Thursday injury report usually gives you a little better indicator. If Taylor and or Kelly can get back to practice, you know, Quiddy and Shaq, I would keep in that category of those are the two that I don't think we'll give it a go, but all in all, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. You know, Hines is the one that would be... He practiced yesterday, red non-contact jersey. I I, I get it. I just... That one to me seems peculiar. That was a hard hit, man. You know, and he was... I think the extra time off probably helps in that case. You know, the fact that you played on Thursday... And for what it's worth, you know, Frank Reich said at halftime that Naheem Hines literally came up to him and was like, hey, I want to go back in the game. And I get a lot of people would just simply point to that's macho football You're right. persona with that. Um, and we can ask Zach. I don't know if Zach saw Naheem Hines in the locker room afterwards, but the guys that were in Denver for that game said Hines was his usual self after the game. So, But again, this is a reminder, Jake, of how all concussions are unique. You know, Naeem Hines looks like he's not going to miss a game. Shaquille Leonard's going to miss at least a game, if not longer. Yeah, I just, I, I would be, I don't know, I would err on the side of caution, especially coming off of the the situation with Tua in Miami when it comes to concussions. But uh, Zach Kiefer joins us now. Of course, you can read Zach's work at The Athletic, one of the premier writers covering the Colts throughout the course of the season, joins us on the Payless Liggers guest line and, uh, Zach, I guess we'll start actually with that since Kevin and I were just talking about it. Um, do you anticipate that we'll see a lot of reps from Naeem Hines coming up on Sunday? That's a good question. We all saw what happened in Denver. We saw the shakiness and him sort of wobbling off the field. Um, he was in a red jersey yesterday. That means non-contact. That means he's making progress. I think it's a possibility that he plays Sunday. Jonathan Taylor's status is still up in doubt as well. Um, but they kind of proved that, you know, Philip Lindsay and Deion Jackson could kind of get the job done if not, but I know Naheem really wants to get back out there. And Zach Kiever from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, we know Bernard Ryman at left tackle. We know Quint Nelson at left guard. If Ryan Kelly's healthy, he will be the starting center. Uh, do you think they're going to run it back all the way with the same offensive line we saw on Thursday night? That would be Matt Pryor at right tackle and Braden Smith moving to the position he played in college at right guard. Is that where you stand on this Thursday morning? No, it's not. I mean, do you guys think they can play Matt Pryor right now anywhere? I guess there's two questions. Do you think they will run it back? Do you think they should run it back? Well, I, I made my stance clear. I do not think they should run it back. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 
I watched the tape, and I don't think they can play Matt Pryor right now. Certainly not one of the tackle positions. I just don't think they can do that. He's the worst player on the field in Denver, and that's saying something because there was a lot of bad football out there. He's he's costing them, and, and they're playing with fire. The same way they played with fire five or six years ago when they didn't protect their quarterback. And Matt Ryan is just not going to pop up from one of these hits if he keeps getting abused this way in the pocket. 47 hits, for goodness sakes, in five weeks. So they can't play Matt Pryor. That's my stance. I, I don't know what they're doing with Dennis Kelly. I just don't understand this. I did talk to Dennis yesterday, and for those who are a little curious, you know, when they signed Ty Niseki on Tuesday, I, I tweeted, why won't they play Dennis Kelly? He's been healthy for a month. And Dennis Kelly replied to the tweet with a gif that said, I don't know. So I asked him about it, and he basically admitted there's some frustration. He's been healthy since week two. Um, he was brought to be the backup swing tackle, but clearly they don't have, they don't have good tackles right now, so they need an answer. He was really brought here to be an answer, whether it's short-term or long-term. So I don't understand why he's not out there. He can play right tackle. That's the majority of his career where he spent it. He's played good line in Tennessee. I, I just don't get it. So if, if he's ready to go, I'm playing him at right tackle, and I'm playing Braden Smith at right guard, and I'm praying to the football gods that we can protect Matt Ryan a little bit and this team can, can you know, because – you know, Alec Pierce and, and Michael Pittman, and if Jonathan Taylor comes back, none of that matters until this team starts to block. Zach, I have a, a real weakness in two things. I mean, I have a lot of weaknesses, but two of them that are weaknesses of mine. One is that sometimes when I when I see something, I can't grasp why everybody doesn't see it as plainly as I do. And then the other is that then I dwell on things too long. So my question for you is this. To me, it is very apparent that the areas and the issues that we're talking about through five weeks that are plaguing the Indianapolis Colts and holding them back are the exact same issues that we were talking about in July and in June and in May. And so then I wonder to myself, if I can see this, I'm not trying to bag on the general manager who knows more about football than I do, admittedly, but why – why is there not like scrutiny? Why is there not? And I don't mean by the media. I just mean, and maybe there is internally, like why is that seat not warming up when we're sitting here going over the exact same crap for like six straight months and no one seems to be bothered by the fact that it was apparent to everybody in town, but people at 56th street. Oh, I don't agree with you. I do think the seat is warming. I, I okay, do you? say it publicly or not. I do. Absolutely. I don't think the owner's happy. And I'm not just saying that because I think that. I mean, that's the you know that's sort of what I've heard. The owner is not happy right now. I mean, did did you watch the game, Jake, Thursday night in Denver? Did you would you be happy if that was your football team? That was a win as beautiful as Raquel Welch, brother. See, I, I think Zach, like Zach, to that point, and sorry to interrupt because I do want you to expand to Jake's point. I know it's a little tongue in cheek about the tweets, but. The tweets we see from Ursay, the public comments, are only after the positive wins, only after beating Kansas City, only after Denver. Right. It's all that talk before the Tennessee game. Your team, favored for the fourth straight game in the division, gets down for the fourth straight game by three scores in your own building. You lose a critical divisional game, and it's silence from Ursay. So I think that is what is confusing to a lot of people. It's you only hear the owner when things are going well in the win column. Right, and I guess that's that's got to be really frustrating for a fan base that hears a lot from him when it's good, 
And then when it's very poor, like you mentioned, Tennessee, and we can go back to Houston, and obviously the nail in the coffin, Jacksonville, I mean, you don't hear a thing. But look, you know, from what I understand, he's not happy. He's not happy with how the season has started. So we'll see what happens. We'll see, you know, where they go from here. They have, you know, they have struggled with new quarterbacks every year. I think that's important to remember. Matt Ryan is not the first. Carson Wentz was one and four and struggling a little bit last year with those ankle injuries. You know, Phillip Rivers, four touchdowns, five interceptions in his first five games. Frank Reich was getting questions about whether Phillip would remain the starter after that week five loss in Cleveland in 2020. So we've been here before with this team. However, to answer Jake's point, I think this is important because the thing that nobody's talking about are some of these really good moves that Chris Ballard has made. And I'm, I'm going to get to the other things, trust me. Alec Pierce looks like a great pick. Stephon Gilmore, great signing, right? Robert Stewart, like another one of those guys that just continues to play better year after year. Those are great moves. But none of it matters because, as Jake mentioned, they whiffed on one of the most important positions in the game at left tackle. And maybe Bernard Ryman you know, grows into that role. And I think he will, but it's going to take some time. And he's going to have some bad plays. But the, you know, I wrote this yesterday. And I wrote a deep dive on the offense. And the, and the numbers were very alarming of where they're at right now and what the problems are. It's very clear. The fact that they thought they could just put Matt Pryor out of position and just fill the left, left tackle spot was an egregious oversight. I mean, we watch this every single day in Westfield, and I wrote about it, and I asked Frank Reich about it after the preseason finale. I said, how comfortable are you with Matt Pryor at left tackle? And he said, I'm good with him. He's played really well. No, he hadn't, Frank. He hadn't played well. The Lions came here and embarrassed him, and he struggled with a lot of speed when he saw Ngakwe. It was obvious to everybody watching that Pryor wasn't an answer. That's on Chris Ballard, and that's on Frank Wright. And you can't, have, you can't just coast at the left tackle spot. You can't just cover that up. It's not the right guard spot. But get, to get to the other position, Danny Pinter was never going to be the answer at right guard. We saw this in camp. The Lions came in here, and he was the worst lineman of that group and he lasted three games and they just tried to force guys into positions that they weren't comfortable in and it backfired in a huge way because their quarterback's 37 and he's taken a beating that is absolutely unsustainable and and right yeah to to, to long answer your question jake um i don't i don't know how they thought in a million years that matt Pryor was just going to magically become a left tackle in three months Matt Pryor literally laughed at the thought of him playing left tackle. That would have been everything yeah. that I needed to see. I looked to... up his quote, KB. <laughs> yeah. He said, I'd be the last person on earth who thought, you, who thought I'd be playing left tackle. That's what he said. As soon as I heard that, I'm like, well, that tells me everything I need to know about this guy's confidence in making a, a drastic switch, to be fair, and flipping over to left tackle. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, this is a little bit more big picture related to Frank Reich. Someone pointed this out. And I guess I don't really know what to make of it, but I'll throw it your way. Nick Sirianni and Matt Eberflus have left the coordinating post here in Indianapolis. They have gone to take head coaching jobs, and neither of them call the plays for their respective Mm. offenses or defenses. Do you think at times, with Frank so ingrained into this offense, because he has to be, frankly, any play caller has to be, that maybe the CEO responsibilities or knowing every kind of nook and cranny you need to about your entire roster, your entire position groups, both sides of the ball, you think that gets a little lost in the shuffle form? 
I certainly think it's a really big challenge. And I thought it was really interesting when one of the best play callers in football last year, Brian Dable, went to the New York Giants and gave up play calling duty. That's essentially why he was hired, to be the offensive mind. And I think you're seeing a little bit more of that. And you see Zach Taylor in Cincinnati getting a little heat for his play calls. And he's supposed to be this wonder kid, you know, coach who led the Bengals to the Super Bowl last year. I, you know, and it's interesting because I don't know a whole lot about Marcus Brady as the offensive coordinator. I knew what Mark, Nick Sirianni did, but the offense has obviously taken a huge regression the last two years. And it's not solely because of Marcus Brady or anything like that. But as Chris Ballard mentioned last year, you know, Frank Reich is the offensive coordinator. That was, those were his exact words. And I think all the different CEO-type responsibilities, as you mentioned, they pile up. They pile up, especially for a coach whose seat is warming. And there's no doubt that Frank Reich's seat is warming, especially after these two division losses, right? They were embarrassed in Jacksonville for the umpteenth time. And then they, you know, they came home and they were supposed to right the ship against Tennessee a week after beating Kansas City. And they were flat. And like you said, they were down three scores and they came back and they just didn't have enough. So um, I think, you know, that's a fair question. I think Frank's pretty adamant that he's not going to give up play calling duties. I don't think we know anything about Marcus Brady's play calling ability. He could be great. He could be terrible. I really don't know. Um, but if you're going to blame anything on the offense, this is Frank Reich's offense, and, and this is his play calls, and these are his players, and and that's where it starts. Surely, Zach, the Colts can't come out and be flat against Jacksonville again, right? Especially coming off of what Jacksonville just did where they were lifeless in a divisional game. The, the Jags that have owned the Colts of late, that's all an anomaly, right? Jig, I don't know what the heck is going to happen on Sunday. I'm not putting anything past this game. I, I, I mean, the game I covered Thursday night in Denver, I mean, we were just laughing about three-quarters of the way through because it was just something I'd never seen on a football field before. And as I wrote that night, like 55 minutes of awful football from the offense is not excused because you had two field goal drives at the end that helped you escape and camouflage all the issues that were at hand. I mean, Quentin Nelson... I walked up to him, and he, 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 I didn't even ask a question. He just said, that was disgusting. And I think he speaks for everybody. Um, but like, let's not overlook. I mean, Chase McLaughlin, great night. DeForest Buckner, he was a beast. Alec Pierce, he looks like he's surreal. Don't let those things, and those things were great, camouflage the offensive issues and the fact that this team could barely scrape by a Denver team that is an absolute mess. So do they show up Sunday? I would sure hope so for Frank Reich's sake, because if they don't and if they're flat and if they play like they did in Jacksonville a month ago, they're going to get booed and the owner's going to get even more angry. Zach, it was a really long injury report yesterday. I don't think it's as alarming as it looks on paper. I mean, I, I would classify Quiddy Pay in the Shaquille Leonard category of highly unlikely to play on Sunday. I don't know if I'd throw anyone else into that group just yet. Uh, let's go with Quiddy Pay here for a second with that ankle injury. No, no boot on, no injured reserve yet. So maybe the Colts feel like it's not going to be a month plus thing with him. Uh, with his absence, though, expected at least for a couple of games. Do you think that means more Dio Dangbo or more Taekwon Lewis? Yeah, I'm going to say Dio. I think that's the name I've heard a little bit more. He's flashed more in the last couple of weeks. It's his time. You're a second round pick, dude. Second round picks need to be starter quality players. 
And Lewis coming back helps as well because he's played all those positions on the defensive line. But I, I think it's time to see what Dio could do. Like, you know, he's flashed in, in a rotational role, but um, the Achilles is a thing of the past. It's time for him to step in. And I thought Cordy Pay was having a pretty good season, but um, those two are always going to be linked. They were back-to-back picks. You know, they need to produce. So I think Dio steps up. And let's see what he can do as a starter. Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, is where you can read his work. What's upcoming in terms of stuff you've got working and covering besides just the game itself against Jacksonville, Zach? I've had a lot of conversations lately with one of the greatest Colts of the 1990s that that doesn't feel like he gets enough love. Any names coming to mind, Jake? Well, the pre-Payton era, I will say. Jake's going to be all over this one. The pre-Payton era. Now, Boy, there's a lot that come to mind. I'll be honest with you. Probably, I will probably one of the top three players of that of that '90s team. Um, Sean Dawkins, Ellis Johnson, Marshall Falk. Those are the ones that come to mind. Kirk Loudermilk, Will Wolford, Linebacker. Cornelius Bennett, um, Elijah Still Alexander. Still going. Jeff Harrod, or is that more Jeff 80s? Harrod. Yeah, Jeff Harrod's a good one. Yeah, it's Jeff Harrod. Yeah. Now, did you did you have to do the interview at Rock Lobster? No, he's in Tampa now, so we caught up. But um, he's a great dude, man. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah. I think he's had some some challenges. That would be at hard times. with the siren at Rock Lobster, <laughs> Zach, to get the audio. <laughs> No, I mean, he shouldn't be laughing, but Jeff, you're right. You're he, right. He's had challenges, but he is at heart. I mean, he yeah. he was a he was a he and Tony Saragusa both were great ambassadors, really, just in terms of connection with the fans. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked about kind of you know the pre Peyton era and how it's kind of overlooked and, and often disregarded in the city, and 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 a lot of the physical struggles he's dealing with now. He's he's 56 years old, and he feels like he's 96, and there's some scary stuff. So I think it's an important story. One cool. of R- Rick Venturi's favorites, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he discovered him. Did Harad – let me guess here. Was Harad out of – was it Mississippi State? Where was he out of? Auburn. It was an SEC school. That sounds – it's one of those, yeah. And he was – No, it was Ole Miss. I think it was Ole Miss. Because he was not a high, like I mean, wasn't he like a fifth rounder or a sixth rounder, right? I mean, he was kind of a. I think Jake. I think he was like a tenth rounder. Yeah. Back that, then they had like a ton of rounds to the draft, right? He was one that just like kind of hung around. He was a fan favorite for certain man, and he was a very good player. You are right. If he, if if Jeff Harrod, oh, beast in the middle. Yeah. He was. If Jeff Harrod, he is not in the Ring of Honor, right? No, he's not. And he's not real happy about it. And he would be in his defense. If Jeff Harrod played in the Manning era, he would be in the Ring of Honor. Right, right. But the Manning era, it's almost like pre-Manning era. What, you know, what were the Colts like? You know, it was that little '95 run. Oh, there were huddles, Kroger, Johnny Cooks posters, and uh, you know, Zoop lifting tractors. That's what the Colts were pre. Do you remember the yell, scream, go horse? Of course. Uh, advertising campaign. Of course. I mean, that's brilliant, right there. Touchdown, I mean, monkey! I mean, your Ring of Honor pre-Manning is what, like the twelfth man, Bob Ursay, Bill, Bill Brooks, yeah, Marcha Broda, yeah. 
I think it should have been. Brody. I mean, Harbaugh was in there, and he had like what a, a good, one good season. Zach, maybe? do you want to know? I'll tell you the one Colts like anecdote that is the most fascinating to me, because I still occasionally think to myself, did that really happen? Was when Rod Meyer and Jim Irsay decided that the Colts were going to run the wishbone. And they called Ricky Turner, who was the wishbone. Yeah, and they called Ricky Turner, who had been a wishbone quarterback at Washington State, and was driving a cement truck in like Spokane <laughs> on a Wednesday. And on that Sunday, he was running the wishbone with Dickerson and Albert Bentley in San Diego. It was the most unbelievable thing ever. And like it was like a thirty for thirty should be done about it. For three <laughs> weeks, they were a wishbone team, and then they went back to being a normal team, and they released him. Totally bizarre. I, the story. The stories from those years. Just, just boggle my mind. I mean, I was a kid, and I can remember the Colts won so little that when they did win, Subway would give out free subs to anyone <laughs> after the game. Think about that in the Manning era. You'd have free Subway right. every week yeah. like for four months because they won so much. Zach, we'll be looking forward to that story. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Zach Kiefer right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Tell you, Kev. Like Claude in, says Clarence Verdan, Jake. Yeah, the CNN never stops talking. I Listen. He was a good return guy, right? Clarence Verdance, yeah. Look, the Colts, for the first 10 years they were here, I think people forget, not unlike the Pacers for the first 10 years they were in the NBA after coming off the ABA, both of those franchises had one thing in common, and that it was that their marketing campaigns were centered around the opponent. Come see Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. Come right. see, you know, Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons. I mean, you'd go to the Colts game because the Colts were new here, and so people were going to see their favorite team that they never got a chance to go see on the road. You know how many defensive players are in the Colts' ring of honor? Uh, that's a great question. We got, boy, Dwight Freeney, right? Robert Mathis, there's two. 18 total entries into the Colts' ring of honor. Tell me that, how many defensive players, and I'll tell you who they are. Freeney, Mathis, I don't think Dwayne Bickett is, right? That's it right there. Is Dwayne Bickett one of them? No, Freeney, Mathis, that's yeah. it. Believe it. Harad would be worthy. Is Bob in Sanders the in the ring of honor? Should he be? No to both. Great player, too short a window. I feel like you should have like almost like ring of honors and then retired jerseys. Well, retired jerseys is a whole different element. Right, right, right that's what I'm saying, like – or I, I, I mean, know, the like Boston a, like Celtics a, are out of numbers now, right? Maybe like a Hall of Fame, and then uh, I don't yeah. know. I feel like there's to me when I think of the Hall of Fame, NFL, whatever, NBA, MLB, the first ballot just means so much. Like I feel like that kind of is a separate wing. Do you know the only number retired at Indiana University? Uh, George Talaferro. No, that should be. I and he might be now since he passed. But I believe I'm correct that the only number retired at Indiana University is Anthony Thompson's 32. That would have been my second guess. I believe that's correct. Honestly, they should retire Randall Ells just from the pure entertainment he provided <laughs> all of us in watching IU. AT should have won the Heisman. Andre Ware, come on. Uh, Morty Checkdown time here on Kevin Aquari before the pop quiz. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Start building the statue. Benedict Matherin, 27 points in 29 minutes off the bench. 8 of 13 from the field. 11 of 12 from the foul line. That man lived in the paint last night. Finishing at the rim. 
Again, getting to the foul line, finishing through contact, some floaters, some stuff off the glass. That was pretty uh, pretty impressive by the six overall pick. Yeah, he was. Um, listen, what do you have? Twenty ended up with twenty five. Is that what you said? Twenty seven. Twenty seven yesterday. Uh, do we have that audio from yesterday? Here is Benedict Matherin just before the building of the statue, talking to Jeremiah Johnson. You didn't play like this was a preseason game. You play like this mattered tonight. Uh, it does matter. It does matter. You know, uh, for me, it's a dub. I'm going back home with a dub. I'm sleeping well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I like to compete. I love competing. And um, I just love winning. Now, the game was here, right? Game was indeed here. And he says, we're going back home with a dub. Did he meant going back home to, like, his, his residence? No, I think he means home home. Yeah, exactly. He's going to yeah. pull in the driveway and... I was outside clapping, actually. <laughs> they had a. Say. They put me behind some tape, but they allowed me to. Kevin had his thunder stick Be outside out. and yeah. Just I remember when the Pacers bit. first broke through, and Reggie Miller lived out at like Feather Cove, and people would lie, like you drive through the subdivision, and there were sign people put signs out in the front yard. Great game, Reggie. Go Pacers! Like everybody just knew where he lived. It's like yeah. Everybody knows where uh, Devontae like Adams lives now. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that, Mark. report out with his full address? Yeah, I did see that. I looked up his house, actually. I bet you did. Four and a half million dollars. It has Taco like a, Bell in it, right? I had some, Excuse me? That's the commercial. He wants a Taco Bell built in his house. That was the running joke, is that his house is worth so much. Because there's a Taco Bell in there. I had some buddies that nice. would um, trick or treat awesome. at Peyton Manning's house, and Ashley would answer the front door and say, you oh, know, Peyton's downstairs watching film, but, you know, here's your king-size whatever, and move on. It's a pretty smart move. That is. That was right. By the way, here's a trivia question. Peyton Manning sold that house on Pennsylvania to who? Oh, I feel like I know this. It was like Pennsylvania in like 80th or was, 75th. I think it was 80, 80, wasn't it? Right, right in there. Yeah. Um, I said to him, when he came back, when they announced his retirement, I said, hey, do you still have your house on Penn? Paul George. And he said, well, I, 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 I sold to that one guy from the Pacers. It, uh, it, I think he left and went to Texas, but his, his last name was like East. I go, David West. Yeah, that's it, David West. <laughs> True story. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, Braves over the Phillies 3-0. It was the Padres 5-3 winners over the Dodgers. And as I predicted today on Twitter, a uh, video of a fight between fans. Yes, we did see, and a goose, a, a large goose. I felt bad for the goose. He has an issue. It reminded me of Tony Saragusa. All the fights the I keep seeing are Dodgers on Dodgers fans. Yeah, I noticed that. I thought it was. I thought the Padres got in the mix last night. No, last night's fight was Dodger Dodger was crime. Uh, Three thirty-seven today. First pitch: Mariners and Astros. That'll be former Red Luis Castillo taking the mound against Framber Valdez. And then at seven thirty-seven tonight. It will be the Yankees trying to go up 2-0. Nestor Cortez against Shane Justin Bieber for the goal. Can you name a Justin Bieber song? Uh, one time. Excuse me? Yes, one time. One time? Correct. You can name... Uh, that's what I'm asking. So... Do we have the song One Time? No. By I Justin don't have Bieber? readily available. So you can name one time, you can name a Bieber song. Uh, there, uh, There's probably several. So not multiple times. One time is the name of the song, or, or one is the number of times that you can name a Bieber song? You can name a Bieber song one time, and it's one time? Is that right? Pro- doing a who's on first group. Yeah, right? I know. I, I would say one time is probably Justin Bieber's, maybe his most popular hit. Isn't there some song called, like, California, like, I Get My Peaches from Somewhere? That's presence of the United States of America. No, 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 that's Peaches. But I know that song, but there's a song by Bieber that's about where he gets his peaches. I don't know Boy. what you're talking about. I'm telling you right now, yeah, there's think, a song I, by Justin I, I think Bieber. That's a little In new. my opinion, that's... Uh, uh, no. I, I, I don't think Jake's totally off. Yeah, see? 
I, I, I know got, the baby song. Was I got like my one time, one. too, so there. Him and Ludacris with that baby yeah. song. Boy, we're going on the Justin Bieber rabbit hole. Nothing says time for the pop today. quiz like this. <laughs> um, and folks, Scotty has walked in and now is contemplating leaving. Folks, <laughs> you want to be locked in because for two reasons. We haven't had a five for five earlier in the week. We've never had two in one week. And this is the final 30 minutes from Jake on Kevin and Quarry this, this last week. time we're all three together for a while. So well, where are you going? I'm out. I'm driving to Florida next. I'm out all next week. And then Jake's got Europe pretty soon. You so this the, could be it. I mean, this could get, be it for the rest of the month of October. We maybe. get two weeks vacation, and Mark gets two months. Apparently, I wish. Right? God, that'd be nice, right? All right, pop nice quiz for time. us. Yeah, three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Jiffy Lube oil change, and more importantly, the pride of going five for five twice in a week. Uh, we'll see who takes a crack at that next year. Kevin Aquari. 93.5175, the fan. If you've got problems with your nip, uh, your, your, not your okay. nips, uh, that's for Okay, sure. sure, let's go. Time for the pop quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. How about Scotty running down the 1934 Bears in the break with us? <laughs> Oh, yeah, undefeated, lost in the championship game. Defense wilted in the championship. Fourth quarter defense just couldn't handle the playoff pressure. Yep. Sid Luckman got to him. Yeah, yeah. A couple of jump passes, and before you know it, the things unraveled. Was the forward pass legal back then? Uh, By the way, did you know that Newt Rockney was not actually uh, the man that invented the forward pass? They they basically Notre Dame began using it more than anybody, but the narrative that it was discovered or invented by Newt Rockney is invalid. Not discovered, you but you know what I mean. Throw this ball forward. What a wild <laughs> thought. You know what I mean? Invented, whatever, used, utilized. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> All right, who do we have uh, in terms of callers? Do we have callers lined up, Mark. Yes, we do. Okay, Good number. Now we have not had two five for fives in a week. Yesterday. Didn't really sniff it today. A little bit of football to begin and then some baseball to close things out. Uh, what do we got? Game two today in the AL? Mm-hmm. Let's go with number two. Eddie from our fantasy league. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, are you the one that just kicked my ass th- 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 this week? Uh, if you're any of the other 11 players, it's possibility. Now, Eddie, oh, are, you, boy, are, you the Eddie. One that, are you the one that has a, an issue with trade proposals? Eddie, your ego is fitting very well into the show. Uh uh, I do like to trade. I mean, I did mess up trading Barkley for uh, Bryce. Well, but Hall like at one point, you, at one point, you offered me nine players for one guy. Like, what was I supposed to do with that? Say yes. <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out, Jake. Eddie scored. Yeah. Eddie beat me by over a hundred last week. Okay. I had two hundred and ten point nine in a twelve-team league. I don't know if it says anything about you guys, or it just shows you how good I am at baseball. football. I think it probably says more about you. Yeah, I mean, I said I wasn't going to win the pop quiz when I got, you know, eligible for the league, but I, I knew I was going to win the league, and so far, so good. I do play Mark today, so he has a chance, or this weekend, so he has a chance to, to beat me, I guess. Now, humility Eddie, is certainly one of Eddie's Eddie, strongest. are you a married guy? No. Uh, do you find that bragging about your fantasy team does you well in the bars? Well, not being married probably let you know why i'm good at fantasy football <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i like it all right eddie would you like for me that would be jake or for kevin to lead you off with question number one kevin please 
Okay. Eddie, welcome to the Fantasy League. Congrats on your sheer dominance so far. All right, Purdue travels to Lincoln to face the Nebraska. I thought that game was at Ross Aid, Scotty. Purdue, I think I think they host Nebraska on Saturday night. Who leads the all-time series? Purdue, Nebraska, or are they tied? Uh, I'm going to go Nebraska. I mean, they were a pretty good football team for a long time. I don't know if he's getting any hints after what he did to me in Pretty fantasy last week. wisdom there. Uh, question number two. The Bears host the Commanders on Thursday Night Football tonight. The two teams played the most lopsided game in NFL history, and it occurred in the 1940 championship game. What was the final score of that 1940 NFL championship? Was it A, the Bears winning 73-0? B, Washington winning 73-0? C, Bears 77 nothing or D Washington 77 nothing. I'll go with C. All right, number three. I would kill for that 1940s Bears offense. (laughs) Right. They won't get the 77 points this season by Thanksgiving. Uh, The Padres tied their divisional series with the Dodgers last night at one apiece. When was the last time the Padres have led or been tied with at least a game played in the division series or later? 1984, 1996, 1998, or 2006? Uh, go see again. 98 it is. Okay. Uh, question number four. You Darvish picked up the win for the Padres last night despite allowing three home runs to L.A. Who was the last pitcher to surrender three home runs in a postseason game and still pick up the win? Was it Corey Kluber, Andy Pettit, Max Scherzer, or Clayton Kershaw? Uh, Kershaw. All right. And Eddie, number five on this day, 1960, the Pirates second baseman Bill Mazeroski hit his first series ending walk, or the first series ending walk-off home run in Major League Playoff history as his ninth inning blast gave the Pirates a 10-9 win over the Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series. Name the pitcher who surrendered, surrendered Maz's famous home run. Art Ditmore, Art Ditmore, that's a pleasant name. Ralph Terry, Bob Turley, or Ryan Duran? I'll go Duran. All right. So, Eddie, I appreciate you being a good sport regarding your fantasy league dominance, by the way, <laughs> and saying, listen, if I'm offering you 11 players for one, you should say yes to the trade. He's not getting Saquon Barkley back for me either. That was an easy one for one. For I me. mean, he literally beat me. It was like 210 to like 80. The thing of fantasy is so random, though. Who did he? Mark, didn't He's we look at his roster. team earlier in the week? He had like Josh Allen, Austin his, Eckler, his Travis is, Kelsey. He's outrageous. Well, he did not go five for five. Uh, question number one, Purdue trailing, uh, traveling to Lincoln to face – is that at Purdue, did we say? Uh, so, Purdue at home against Nebraska on Saturday. That series, by the way, uh, tied 5-5. You blew it! You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete by the way, you know, a great 10 seconds, which sounds like a lot of other things. Okay. Eddie's fantasy team, Josh Allen, Eckler, Fournette, Waddle. I think I actually I might have traded him Waddle, or maybe he offered me a trade for him. Um, Travis Kelsey, Justin Tucker, 
Yeah, he's got a pretty good team. Dak Prescott's his backup. He doesn't have a lot of depth, I'll say that. It looks like Chris Ballard built his team. Not a lot of depth. Eddie, I'll see in the playoffs. Uh, Bears, by the way, it was 73-0 for the Bears. 98, the Padres beat the Braves in the NLCS. Then they went on and got beat by the Yankees. Clayton Kershaw was correct for question number four, and Ralph Terry was the answer for question number five. There we, we go. come back one final time. We need Jake Query's pick for Sunday. That's right. Colts and Jags. Colts favored by one and a half. We'll do that next year. Kevin and Query. What do we got going here, Mark? Queens of the Stone Age. Okay. Some good stuff right there. Speaking of the Stone Age, uh, have you? do you know that there are people that theorize that the Flintstones was actually from the future? What? In the Flintstones, at the beginning of the song, they say, you know, meet the Flintstones. They're a modern Stone Age family. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, references throughout the show that would – that would not have been pertinent in the Stone Age. And so there is like this theory, probably some QAnon crap, that the Flintstones actually was set in the same era as the Jetsons in the future, but that they there was some sort of a cosmic event that caused certain people to have to live again in the Stone Age, but with the knowledge of current day. I'm just telling you what... <clears throat> and then the great Gazoo show up at some point, so maybe... Right. The Sounds great like Gazoo a, who looked like one of the Grammaticas, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a rather rich expose on Washington Commanders owner Daniel Snyder uh, on ESPN.com right now. Seth Wickersham, who I think has now become the, when Seth Wickersham writes a piece on you, um, get ready to be exposed. Um, or I should say some dirt will be discovered. Um, he tweets out a few of the rather notable bullet points from the article. Snyder has said that his dirt on Roger Goodell and owners from private investigators could blow up the NFL. A Daniel Snyder quote, they can't F with me. He's lost Jerry Jones. Goodell wants Daniel Snyder gone per an exec. And a novel removal method owners have discussed about Daniel Snyder. Here's the thing. It, it's a pretty brilliant thing. Some juice in there. If you have enough money, it's a fairly brilliant strategy to just say, I got dirt on everybody. Because one would assume, well, okay, if he's a billionaire, he would have the money if he wanted to spend it to hire private investigators to follow around. And then what he's going to do is, he he that may be the biggest lie of all time. He may not have ever done anything but you throw that out there and now you have created in people the paranoia of i don't know if he does or not but i don't want to find out you know what i mean but there's no doubt he has been the most despicable puke in professional sports for 20 years and i i feel bad honestly for people that are fans of that franchise because it's a proud storied franchise that has a lot going for it except for the fact that that guy is a total puke and has been for a long time. And, I mean, I've heard – I won't say the name of the restaurant, but but I was I, – I have a weird thing where I will ask people in nice restaurants, like the waiters and waitresses, that kind of thing, and I'll say, hey, um, who's the most famous person you've ever had in here? Who's the coolest? Who's the – you know, who was the worst? And I asked one time in a restaurant, who's the, who's the 
biggest jerk you've ever had, and literally without hesitation, they said, oh, the guy that owns Washington's football team, without a question. And apparently he lit up a cigar in the restaurant itself, was told it was non-smoking, um, and he said, I don't care. I, and they said, well, your fellow patrons do. And he said, well, then here. And he gave him his credit card and announced to the entire room that he paid that he was going to pay for everyone's dinner, had them put the, the bill on his card, paid it, and then they came back, got the card. Once he signed the bill and handed it back over, they said, all right, now you can leave. We're kicking you out because you're such a jerk. Gosh. What an I mean, ass. Just a total ass, yes. And you want Colts fans to root for that tonight against the Bears, Kevin? Come on. I, I don't know Take if I uttered off. that phrase. I believe it was just you do not want Carson Wentz to get hurt and you do not want Carson Wentz to suck. Yeah, you need Carson Wentz. Is it 70% snaps? 70%, 70. of the snaps. So, yeah, 12 to 13 games right around there. He's played every snap so far this season. He's dealing with a right shoulder injury. Uh, I'm not saying cheer for Daniel Snyder. I'm saying Colts <laughs> fans, if you want the second-round pick and not the third-rounder from Washington, you need Carson Wentz to be competent, and you need Washington to stay somewhat above water. Play good enough to lose. How about that? Try not to suck in life. Right. That's Thank right. you, Joe and Madden. Uh, Jake, we need a pick from you. You will be out tomorrow. Refresh everybody on... Uh, really a cool trip that you've turned into um, an annual thing. So my buddy Mike Byron and I, when when our friend Turhan Donner, who is the smartest guy that I grew up with, Turhan went to North Central with us. He graduated um, the top of our class or towards the top, went to Vanderbilt as a quadruple major, graduated in three and a half years from Vanderbilt, got a full ride for IU Medical School, and then worked for Texas Oncology in Austin as an oncologist. And in 2016, in a cruel irony, um, himself developed he, he got cancer and ultimately passed of cancer uh six years ago and when he did he wanted to he had left his car to his dad to his mom and dad and his parents didn't know how to get it back up here so my buddy mike byron and i flew down to austin to get turhan's car and drove it back for him and i called byron like a week later because we had a great time we stopped at all the you know tourist stops and you know whatever so, you know, we, we made the best of it that we could despite the circumstances. And so I called Byron like a week later and said, you know what? Let's just, as long as we're healthy and we're able to do it, let's do a road trip every single year, one per year. We'll just randomly pick a city, fly to it, rent a car, and drive home and call it the Turhan Memorial Road Trip. And so that's what we're doing. Um, we picked, we're flying into New Orleans, but we're fairly quickly going because we've both done New Orleans a thousand times. We're going to go to Baton Rouge tonight spend the night in baton rouge and then go through the state of mississippi we're going to go to the emmett till sites in sumner where i had gone a couple of months ago byron wants to see that we're going to go to old miss auburn on saturday and just kind of meander our way back up and chance i'll be here sunday for the colts jaguars game in which i think it will be probably a somewhat ugly affair uh but i think the colts will win and i will say it will be 20 to 16 i i know that that's a, a stretch and i'm not trying to be a Colts. i don't think i've picked against the colts yet this year to be honest with you but um a home game and a they've got to get a divisional win and i i think they've got to know their backs against the wall if they lose that one so i'll say 20 to 16 although i expect that defense to be pretty aggressive against indianapolis you know that comment right there backs against the wall they have to know that i think you could make arguments that they should have felt that in the previous four divisional games they haven't won. 
Like, there were reasons outside of just you're playing a divisional game that those games should have met more. The playoff berth in Week 18, the Week 1 drought uh, this year with Houston, the Jacksonville drought in Week 2, the Tennessee game with your owner just a few weeks ago, so so public about it, yet we haven't seen it. So, um, I like that score. Uh, By the way, my buddy Dan says that uh, Gus DeRace, I I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, invented the forward pass. He did play at Notre Dame. So he was the first to develop the forward pass, not Newt Rockney. Uh, Mark, any thoughts on tonight? It'll be you and I, by the way. Mark Dykes and myself tomorrow. Sam Fritz on the ones and twos. So we will round out the week. Joe Wrights is going to, going to join us at 730 along with Greg Rakestraw and Matt Taylor. Uh, any brief thoughts? I think it will be a better game than last Thursday, and I will pick. <laughs> I will. Oh, that's a not. I will. I will lowest bar in the history of bar. Be the tallest member of the Lollipop hey, Guild. All fine. right, that's fine. That's what the Bears need when they're in prime time. They need to. They need that. I'll take the Bears to win. I think they build off of last week's second half against the Vikings, and they take down the Commanders, who are struggling mightily right now. Mark believes more points will be scored than just the kickers scoring. That's right. Uh, we'll recap it all tomorrow. Everybody have a great Thursday.